Experience of 2022, and today, boy, howdy on the program, Haymans and firings and injuries. Oh my! The first episode of the year is the Where Do We Begin edition of the Jim Cornette Experience, and to join me, as always, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mister Co-host to you. The ball they drop in New York City was molded from one of his. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. And I didn't know where you were going there at the end, and I still don't know why you went there, but it's a pleasure to be here once again. Happy New Year. Well, there you go. And the only problem is your other one is still normal size, which gives you that kind of off-kilter sideways walk that you're known for. But proper uh, proper tidy whities have been able to correct <laughs> a lot of that issue. <laughs> All right. Keeps everything in place. How's the weather up there, Brian? Uh, we have a snow day today. The kids are home, and we have uh, probably about five inches of snow, and it's starting to melt, it seems. Starting to melt? What temperature is it? In You are in the wilds of suburban New Jersey, and I'm in Kentucky. What's the temperature up there right now? 34? Bastard? It was eight degrees, not counting the wind chill in my front yard this morning. I'll have you know. So it's colder in Kentucky than it is in New Jersey. You should be ashamed of yourself. Although we do recently have a little bit of a track record where it happens there, and then like a couple of days later, it happens right here. Well, I'm... it better happen there. It better. I better not be the only one going through it. You know, you should have seen it. Here's the thing. We've had screwy weather. We've been to, we had tornadoes in December, which never happens. It almost wiped the state off the map. Then a record high temperature on Christmas Day, like 73 degrees. Then it was either almost a record high or tied or whatever on New Year's. And then the next day we got three inches of rain. And right now, it's eight degrees outside, and yesterday we got three inches of snow here in, in the metro Louisville area, but 40 miles south of us got eight inches of snow. There was a 30-plus car pileup on the Western Kentucky Parkway of people just sliding and couldn't stop, and trucks jackknifed, and then the people ran into the other and slid off the road and then took in the pudding and the jello pudding and all that stuff. They showed it on the news. It was ridiculous, but I'm sitting here yesterday, right? Because this was called for. This was not like a tornado where, oh God, it could happen anywhere. Conditions are right, but we don't really know, right? They had forecast, even the day before, after 10 a.m. on Thursday, travel will be difficult, low visibility. The amounts of snow that they forecast is what came through. For good or bad, they told everybody, don't be fucking with this. And what do they do? They're all out there fucking with it. Right? So Wednesday or Thursday, as usual, I'm at home. And I'm sitting here in my office and I'm looking out. I got the big picture window. 
The big picture window, as Aunt Lola used to say, look out the picture window, Jimmy. I got the big picture window in the front of the office. And I'm sitting here on the phone. I'm talking to a an unnamed member of the WWE empire who hates his job and is tired of being treated like shit and doesn't know what the future holds. That doesn't really narrow anybody dead, just to everybody in the company. But anyway, so I haven't betrayed a confidence. Nonetheless, I'm sitting here on the phone and I'm looking out the picture window, Brian. And out this picture window, I can see to the left of me all the way to the far edge of the property of the woman that lives on the left side of me. And on the right, I can see all the way up the hill to the far edge of the property on the guy that's on the right of me, right? So I can see all that stretch of road from my picture window. And it's snowing and it's coming down and the road is covered and it's below zero. And, you know, you, it, you, I can tell it's slick and people are starting to slow down. You don't see too many cars and every once in a while when you do, they're going fairly slow. They're trying to be careful. And along comes, I assume it's an old woman. It, I mean, it could have been anybody but they just drove like an old woman and it looked like a car an old woman would be driving just a little bitty like a honda type of thing like five or ten miles an hour i mean just the speed that you can actually carry your momentum forward in a car right whatever that speed is just a creeping and so as she passes in front of my place once she gets past my driveway she starts having to go up the hill and she's not really gathered any speed, which as you know, is a, somewhat essential in this type of condition to get up a fucking hill. It's still five, five, 10 miles an hour. And she gets about halfway up the hill and the tires start spinning and she's not gunning it. She's trying to go the same speed she was. It just, it, she ain't got enough oomph, right? You know what I'm saying? Enough propellant. Right. So the momentum is what I'm trying to, the word that I'm trying to spit out of my face. Put your foot on the gas, Grandma. Yeah, well, well, by then it was, she was at the point of no return. If she'd put her foot on the gas by then, she'd just spun worse. So she comes to a stop. And I see the backup lights come out and she backs up. I, call, I don't know how she didn't slide sideways before she did. But she backs up all the way back down the hill and into the, to the front of my, even with my driveway. And sits there for a second, like she's gathering her wits about her. And I think, well, she's going to try to gun it and get up this hill. She ought to give herself a little more room, but whatever. And she takes off and she's at the same speed. And she does the same thing in the same place. She is about three quarters away and she stops. And then she starts and she backs up all the way down the hill. Now there's somebody coming down the road. And, and I think they may have seen this from afar because she backs up to where she's in front of my driveway again, and they just continue on. They're not doing but 20, but at least they're, they're moving forward, right? Go around the side of her on this little narrow two-lane road. It's not even two lanes. And they go up the hill and get over the hill. Well, now she's emboldened. So... I'm thinking now she's seen an example of what can happen here and what needs to take place and just cocoa <laughs> do, right? Get you a little fucking big mo up there, grandma. She start and here comes another car behind her. 
and they're watching now she starts and she does the same thing and in the same way and backs down and this other car goes around her now and goes up the hill and now her mind has got to be exploding and she backs up all some more past my driveway almost to the left end of side of my property there on the road frontage and i think she's gonna really get it this time and gun it and no she stops and she sits there and then well at first with the last time she'd been a little sideways in front of my driveway as she sat there and thought about it so i think has she gotten a fucking ditch there i can't really see because the bush no she's letting other people go around her Two more people go around her, go up the hill, and then she starts out and goes forward about 20 feet and then just says, fuck it, and backs up in the, finally there's a house over in front of the neighbor's property on the left. There's a house on the other side of the road there. There's not in front of me. But she backs up in that driveway and turns around and goes the other way. And I never saw her again. So I don't know if grandma's home yet. How much time did this all take? This was unfolding over a, a 10 to 12 minute period easily. I forgot to look at the clock. I was so mesmerized. You know, this would be great content for the YouTube channel. if You could film this and do commentary over it. Well, but Hotchkiss has the camera. And and he's over there, you know, in the and, and they didn't get as much snow in southern Indiana. Over where... Uh, where he's out. But but one of the reasons why that they had all the highway problems was because like 20 or 25% of the salt trucks and the highway department, whatever they call them, trucks, they, they're off the road because people are out due to COVID because COVID has spiked everywhere. Because imagine that people just started acting normal again without getting vaccinated and without wearing masks and without doing all this other shit. And now everybody's got to COVID. Well, you know what the other problem is, and no one really would just wants to come out and say this. Everyone's acting like everything's normal, even if you're vaxxed and boosted, and it's still not normal. No, this thing is still out there, and too many people after that first wave, after that whatever, that first year, year and a half, it was. We're still in the midst of it, so I'm not even sure exactly when. But after that first time where you feel like okay, things are starting to level out before the first variant, everyone just went right back out, no masks, doing everything. It's crazy. And you know where you have to wear a mask? In the hospital. The medical professionals and people who know the most about this are the ones that are most covered up. You know what? If, if, isn't that kind of the thing that you're supposed to do? Wasn't that principle invented with the canary in the coal mine? A, a little warning system, even as simple as it was. Do, do do the young folks even know that expression, Brian? The canary in the coal mine. Well, no, coal mines are really out of fashion nowadays. Well, the canary in the coal mine back in the old days, when they had to uh, go down in the in the mines, they would release gas from under the ground, sometimes accidentally, and it would be poisonous gas, and it would kill your ass. So what they did was they took a canary down there and they put it in its little cage and they hung it there. And if the canary dropped over, all the miners left. And this is the truth, folks. Google it. The canary in the coal mine was the early warning system. If you have some type of situation going, if you're, if you're in an airplane 
and you're just Joe Schmo flying to Cleveland for your granddaughter's bar mitzvah or whatever, and everybody's laughing and chatting, if you were to be able to look in the cockpit and the pilots had a look of sheer terror on their faces, fucking eyes wide and about to scream, that's your canary in the coal mine. They're the first ones to know because they're the experts. You're in trouble. Same thing with the medical professionals. If they're all masking up and vaxxing up and fucking having these protocols in, in the places where the people know the most about medicine, for God's sake. And grocery stores still kill me. I, the only thing I miss, as I've said, grocery stores, leisurely grocery shopping trips, and restaurants. Otherwise, I've not really modified my life that much. I don't have time to go out in public. But where you're selling food, no mask requirements, so that people can just come in and breathe all over the fucking cantaloupe. That doesn't make any sense to me either. The grocery stores up here are starting to once again require masks. Well, that's because New Jersey is closer to sanity than Kentucky is. Wow, that's the nicest thing you've ever said about New Jersey. Well, unfortunately, it is. Where is this? Remember, where is the sanity? How do we? <laughs> we have Mitch McConnell. We have Rand Paul. We have we have our our fair share of the nutcases. But anyway, I'll tell you where you don't have to wear a mask, though, Brian, where you can breathe freely and easily and with no anxiety. You know where that is? No. The universe that is jimcornet.com. Ah. And if you go to jimcornet.com right now, there is a banner on the home page that links you to the incredible auction of the final set of my Wrestling All-Stars 1982 trading cards, the sought-after set, the most highly prized first set of the modern era featuring the Hogan and Andre rookie cards that are up for bid right now, direct from the vault to heritage auctions to you, potentially, if you win. And that auction runs through January the 28th, but it, they're taking bids now. And if you click on the banner, it will take you to the page at heritage auctions for more information. And you can see the pictures of some of the highly graded uh, high-grade cards, the highly-graded high-grade cards, or the highly-sought-after high-grade cards. How high are you, Brian? Not as high as I wish right now. Not as not as much as you wish. But anyway, uh, so that's taking place right now. Do not forget about that if you can. And I've talked to Hotchkiss, and Aunt Fanny and Uncle Felcher are, are ready to go. They're making plans. The Cornets Collectible Store, stay tuned. It will be open soon and more often this year because i've finally admitted that i cannot handle this by myself and everything will still be hand signed and and to order in that respect but a, a lot of what what should you call it the grunt work brian the shipping and fulfillment apparently i think this is witchcraft i think he's talking out of both sides of his neck i think he's he's just pulling this just nakedly out of his sphincter. But apparently from what Hotchkiss says, between my new state-of-the-art website and some of this witch web witchcraftery uh, internet shenanigan that goes on, 
that he can download and these things that he can attach to the interweb machine, when somebody orders from Cornette's Collectibles, he can press a button and print the label and the shipping and put it on the package and this mac daddy of a website automatically emails whoever bought this shit with the tracking number <laughs> and and when they when the post office when they take it to the post office he doesn't even have to go they'll come get it now and then they'll shoot it with one of those goddamn phaser guns that makes the beep and it'll instantly then tell my site to tell some schmo in in fucking Des Moines what is number is that the shit's on the way and where it is, and I don't have to do any of that. That's what he's claiming. I think he's full of shit as a Christmas turkey. Well, there's a few things here. One, let's all stop and appreciate the fact that for the last five years, you did more manual labor than you did in the previous 55. It's really impressive. If people knew how much work you actually put into all this stuff. Well, there's no other way to do it in my opinion. I mean, here's what I was doing, folks, if you're a new listener. You get the order on it. It comes through on the email, right? On the website, I would print a piece of paper with each one of those orders on it, and then I would take it down, and then I would write out a label to put on the package with the person's name and address, and then I would sign everything and pack the box up and tape it up, and then I would load it in a truck, and then I'd drive it over to Bree at the post office, where she would print the postage on it and do whatever witchcraft they do with the tracking numbers from there. And, of course, my website never told anybody what was going on because to know that, I would have had to tell it what was going on. And if I had time to do that, then it wouldn't take me two months to mail out the autograph figures. So that's generally the way I was doing it because it was easy to keep track of. But he's swearing to me that all the, I don't He's going to be shipping that. from home? So he's not even going to be going to the post office. So you're going to lose these relationships. And well, now they may have I, to lay people off because all of a sudden they don't I'm, have all these packages they're used to. I'm not at liberty to give all the details, but Bree has asked for a transfer. She's oh. she's going to another branch, which is was one of the other things that instigated my <laughs> asking Hotchkiss. Hey, Hotchkiss. Oh, I see. It was like an Abbott and Costello Rattel. Hotchkiss! Hotchkiss! Bree's going to be gone. I'm going to be left with John the Hunchback. How do we do this? Did she tell you why she transferred? Or is well, she yeah, pretending I, I, it's I, not you? I, no, it's not me. Oh. No, no. If it was, if that was the issue, she'd be here forever. We have a lovely relationship. Um, Lots of entertaining uh and and jocular and frivolous conversation makes her mornings uh but no but the other i'm not at liberty to air all the dirty backstage laundry but she wanted to uh to leave but anyway there's a good newsletter hey jamie ward if you're listening yeah <laughs> post office dirt i want an observer for the post office the letterbox who's doing what who showed up drunk what's going on you wouldn't believe some of the things I've heard. Oh, me too. I have a good relationship with my people. They tell you everything. You wouldn't believe some of the things that people put in boxes and expect 
not just like dogs or other animals to smell, but people walking by from 20 feet away. Let me just say, and I'll say this publicly now, I have had to request now a few people who have asked for the P.O. box address to send something in. Do not send drugs. No, seriously. There's a reason I now have to request people do not send drugs. There are some crazy fucking fans out there, man. (laughs) <laughs> Why you didn't have to say like some crazy fucking fans out there, man? Telling you Dave's not here. Well, uh, but anyway, back to the store. Yeah, what I was trying to say. So the point is, Hotchkiss is now is ordering and setting up. He's talked to some representatives of the people who create these magic spells that allow all this information to be dissected, disseminated. I'm still, I'm still fucking this dog though. He's just holding its head. I'm going to autograph the things that are autographed, and I'm keeping track of everything, but uh, he's going to help with some of the... I I figured out. I wish I could be there the day you horrify some woman with that analogy. Yeah, I'm I'm fucking his dog lady. He's just holding its head. I'm still in charge around here. I'll have you know. But I sat down to figure out, well, the last time we opened the store, I've mentioned I got almost... 2,000 orders, and it took me about nine weeks. I got everything out, I believe it was, from time start to finish. But if I'd have just not handwritten those nearly 2,000 shipping labels, well, that right there would have saved me, what are you, 30 seconds apiece times 2,000, 60,000 seconds? What is that, 1,000 minutes, 100, 100 hours? Would that be what that is? Can't be. WWE would pay you like 75 bucks for those hours. Well, are you? <laughs> it's like 10 people that get that joke. Video of me, yeah, and, and they all didn't get the deal either. <laughs> but anyway, so that's so we're going we're, we're gonna to have news on that. Um, obviously, there's some exciting new products coming up this year, but we're, we're going to try to get open with the basic necessities of life uh, soon, and I'll be keeping people apprised of that. And there's another goddamn technological hoo-ha kerfluffle with my brand new state-of-the-art website i've mentioned the contact form works perfectly right where the the fan the people out there in the cult of cornet can contact me can the airing of the grievances of thanks their tell us their views etc right but have i mentioned i may have but i'll do it again Somehow, the way that he set it up, and he's addressing this. It's going to be addressed. I put a lot on this young man's plate. You wouldn't believe all of We're buying shit, new equipment. I'm going to have him doing some things. But anyway, when you send an email to me through the jimcornette.com website contact form, on the page of emails on the computer here, it comes up as from jimcornette.com, and the subject line is, Jim Cornette contact form for every single one. Do you know what a thousand emails with the same from the same place (laughs) with the same subject looks like on a goddamn computer screen as you're scrolling through it there, Mr. Last? No, it don't look too good. (laughs) To quote a buddy Wayne punchline, I didn't feel too grand. Uh, So... That's why, obviously, they work and they come through, but it's taken me a while to muddle through a, a significant portion of them. And that's what I did over 
since we've had the reduced schedule, we, we didn't really reduce our schedule either. We recorded the same amount of shit. It was just all your shows. I wanted a break. So we took two weeks off of my show and you recorded not only your shows, but an extra fucking show and mad drug me along for the ride. I probably worked on more hours of shows in the last three weeks when we were supposed to take time off than any other time yeah. in my life. Yeah. Well, it wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with that. But uh, yeah, the, the people demanded it. But anyway, over New Year's weekend, I did go through a lot of the various emails. And I wanted to, because we haven't done this in several weeks, you know, send anybody to shout out or encouragement or a fuck you or anything, or just air their grievances. So I've, I've jotted, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to read all these emails. These, honestly, some of the nicest, and kindest and uh, emails from people who are thanking us for the entertainment when they've had all kinds of bad luck or uh, bad health in their families or with themselves or whatever, but they're thanking us for taking their mind off of it. And I'm not going to read these verbatim because then that would be self-serving. Oh, how great we are. How great we are. Well, Brian, enough about me. Let's talk about you. How great do you think I am type of thing? But I wanted to recognize a lot of these people. So, and they're going to know who they are. Jen from Butler, PA. Uh, we hope you and your mom are feeling better. And thank you for thanking us. Uh, Greg in Canada. And I feel bad about this. This email has been around for a while. I hope your dad got out of the hospital okay. And I'm glad that we could make a difference at that point in time for you. Sean, and I don't, it's S-E-A-N, but I don't think he told me where he was from. But uh, I was sorry to hear about your dad, but thank you for what you said about the show we did on Bobby Eaton, which gave you some comfort applying it to your situation. And John and Mary Ann are from Australia, and they're both special needs teachers, and they have had a a run of rotten luck that like they both kicked old gypsy women in a previous life. It's ridiculous that this could all happen to somebody and we feel horrible about that. But John and Marianne, we wish you both the best. And Brian, I'll have you know, they agree with me on pizza and he's Italian and they got a lot of Italians uh, down there in Australia. That's why Mario Milano got over for a brief period in his shining career. So Dominic Danucci was a big baby face, but there you go. And they are agreeing with you about pizza. What well, what part of your pizza argument? Just everything. With? No, they agreeing with the pizza they just, bone. They just they agreeing they with just, the pizza bone. They just agreed that you should just shut up. You see, just you just you just you just talking out of your ass. You just bloviating. I have not heard doing. anyone agree with you about the pizza bone. I you know what. I checked on that just to just let's stop here and we're going to go back to these shout outs. But I checked on that. You put the clip of us talking about the the latest pizza controversy. There's been a few, but the latest one, when I mentioned that I'd had those beautiful, delicious lip smack and homemade Emo's pizzas, you put that clip up on YouTube. I went to look at the comments because I wanted to see and there were a lot of people who were shocked at my dismissal of crust is an important part of the pizza and i agree it should not be cardboard we're not talking about the frozen pizza from the walmart deli or whatever there there can be some crust but the, if you have a decent crust 
and you and you've got the crust situation taken care of then the more important thing is what goes on top of it for heaven's sake where was i going with this australia australia well i don't know anything about it oh i was going back to the shout outs but i was going to say something i don't know whether i said it or not i don't know either <laughs> it all started with an italian man in australia well, anyway, I'm not saying you should have bad crust at all. You should have more good crust than bad crust. But it's not once you've got acceptable crust, you got bigger fish to fry on your pizza. So you're backing off. <laughs> you're, look, look at Leo Rush over here. Look at Leo oh, no, Rush changing tune over here. I know what I'm thinking. You reminded me, uh, Leo Rush, Leo backpedaling Rush. Uh, what I, where I was going with that was, but I looked at the comments and many people agreed with me about the pizza bones and or that they like to toss them to their dogs. Except Harley's not allowed to eat that many carbs. But a lot of people agreed about the pizza bones. So, so poof, right there, I've just blown a hole in your argument. Just poof. Well, you're saying that I need to actually see. I'll go through the comments and Well, you this. sit down there and you go through that. You, you show me, I'll show you, or you can see for yourself. <laughs> Or as Nick Gula said one time, if you haven't already seen, you will see, because he didn't know when the interview was going to go in his program. If you haven't already seen, you will see how that so-and-so fucked the other guy around. Um, You'll see that a lot of people agree with me about the pizza bones. I'll have you know. It seemed like a lot of people for the first time ever went with Team Brian in the pizza argument. And all of a sudden now you're like, well, I will say there is good crust. It's not, you know, it's not just last time it was... Never eat the crust. It's the pizza bone. No, never, no, I'm ever, the crust ever. with the toppings on it. Of course you eat that. I'm just saying there's no need to eat the crust without the topping on the edge edge of it, which is pizza bones. And you you toss those. And see, now you're just, you're swerving these people's minds around. And real quick, because I'm not into it, but this may be one of your things. So let me ask, because a lot of people did ask. People are curious. Stuffed crust pizza, your thoughts. You know, at first, it was now. Now, are you talking about the stuffed crust to where it's got the ring of of uh, cheese inside the the crust around the edge of the pizza? Or are you talking about the big, thick kind of the whole? Uh, that's a pan pizza. I think the first option is what the I was thinking of. Crust at least. with the cheese. Yeah. At, at first, it was a a little kick, but you know what? Then it's different. But the thing is, once it cools off which almost every delivery pizza by the time it gets to you will have done to some degree. Then you've just got cold dough with no topping, but with chewy cheese instead of gooey stringy cheese inside of it. So you're basically eating a breadstick with cheese in it. And you're against that. Well, it just, it, it's, it's not the, the end all be all. I mean, if I was cheeseless, I'd take it. If I was, if I'd been <laughs> born poor and cheeseless, <laughs> just a, a street urchin, a little toe-headed boy with no cheese to my name, I'd take it. But it's not the first cheese-oriented thing that I would ask for if I was little Richie Rich, the poor little rich kid, and had Cadbury available to go get me anything I wanted. If you had a little side, not a bowl. A little side Cadbury? If you had a little side Cadbury filled with, you know, some tomato sauce... Would you use the crust? Would you dip it in that and eat it? Or is it just, well, no, no, oh, we're out of anything work. other than bread. I'm done. How much work do they want us to do? They want me to take cheese, dip? pizza dough, and dip it in the fucking pizza sauce and make it just, they need to assemble the pizza themselves. And I wouldn't have to go through all this construction. 
All this construction. See, you're you're distracting <laughs> me. Here from I'm gonna talk about Steve from Evansville. Evansville, Indiana, home of the Rocka Bar. Somebody said they sold a place. It's not what it used to be. Uh, but Steve from Evansville, and let's straighten up for a second here. Um, and I feel bad about this one too, because this was the middle of November, and I was deep in the action figure mines. But um at the end of September, uh, Steve says, my three-year-old grandson Silas was diagnosed with ALL, an acute form of leukemia. He started treatment and is handling it like a true champion for sure, but it's still very hard on his still very young body. I was wondering on one of your near future podcasts, well, that horse has left the barn, Steve, and I apologize uh, for reasons I've mentioned, but if you could just give a shout out to Silas and maybe give some words of encouragement to my daughter, Alexandra, and my son-in-law, Brian, from Steve in Evansville, Indiana, and Brian and Alexandria, obviously, we hope that Silas is doing better and that the treatments are working out and he's still handling it well. But that's, you know, again, it, it's, it's it, you feel bad when anybody, well, almost anybody, if you're like me, gets sick, but especially when it's kids and they don't know what the fuck's going on and they haven't even got a chance to figure out what good health is and they think, is this what's going on? He's only three. That's what really, you know, gets to me when I, I'm doctor and medical phobic, as I've said so many times, when I have any test or procedure or anything, I'm like, Jesus Christ. And I'm a grown adult that people have tried to murder in public social settings. So you can imagine, you know, how much scary it must be for kids. So Silas, we hope you feel better. We hope you're not allowed to listen to this program though, Silas, that might age you before your time. Got another email, Brian, on a more pointed topic here from Jeremy in Dayton. Hi, Jim. Sounds uh, fake. What? What's the matter with Jeremy in Dayton? We'll see. Is it, Jeremy and Dayton sounds phonier than Charlie and Starkville for what apparent reason? Let's find out. What did Jeremy and Dayton have to say? Jeremy, not Jeremy. All right. I'll tell you what he had to say here in a second. He said, boy, we're going to be <laughs> confrontational this year, aren't we? I can tell this. <laughs> this right. year. Oh, not just this episode. This year. Oh, hi, Jim. I just wanted to jump on board and share my Spectrum experience. Uh-oh. A few years ago, my father-in-law was contacted by Spectrum and told they needed to come to his home to check his equipment. And then once the tech arrived, he put on a rubber glove. No, I'm kidding. The, the tech, checking that equipment. The tech arrived and went into his attic. A short while later, the tech fell through his living room ceiling and was lodged <laughs> waist high through the roof and was dangling my father-in-law called me to come over i wonder how how big's your brother what time's your brother get off there jeremy he could have come over and helped you <laughs> but my father-in-law called me to come over and help get the trapped jackass loose luckily we have picked up several new cable providers in the area breaking spectrum's decades-long cable monopoly again fuck spectrum and I, I hope that Spectrum didn't think just because they might have had a little respite for the holidays that this is over between me and them by a long shot. Because I told you last Hotchkiss came over here 
week or two ago and checked the speed and it was lower than before when I upgraded to the one gig that I never got to begin with. Uh, here's another one. Brian, you and I, we have some of these off-topic conversations on the programs and where we just, uh, sometimes we extrapolate, we, our, our views, you know, they, they, they blow like the wind. They vary around widely from one topic to another. And somehow, and I don't remember how, we started talking about somebody either needed an intervention, had an intervention. We'd never been to an intervention. The, the topic intervention came up. Right. It might have, and there was a, a situation comedy episode that was referred to as well. It just, but anyway, it meant something to Eric. And Eric writes, you and GBL, that's your, by the way, that's your anagram now. Well, no, it's TGBL. Well, but for those of us who consider you a friend or a confidant, it's just GBL. I don't know this guy. He doesn't. Well, but see, I've vouched for you with him, and he, I'll vouch for him with you. So now you guys are, it's only one degree of separation. You and GBL. No. Mentioned on the last JCE. Is that one all right? Yeah, JCE. Yeah, FU, <laughs> that neither of you had attended an intervention. I have an absurd, absurd story about one. I went to college 2,000 miles from home, the appeal of which was that I knew no one in that area. After my first year of school, I had a one-day gap in my housing as the dormitories closed for summer and my summer arrangement off-campus was not yet open. My mother arranged for me to stay for one night in the home of a distant relative on her side, whom I did not know and had not met, who only lived 25 miles away. This woman picked me up and took me to her home for the night. A few short hours after our arrival to her home, dozens of people arrived at said home for an intervention, hers. I found myself in a strange home full of strange people amidst massive drama. She was then taken to an inpatient treatment facility that night, and I was stuck there with her distraught husband and hysterical 12-year-old daughter. As I was sleeping on the couch that night, I had no place to go to hunker down during this deeply uncomfortable evening. Fuck me. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye. So it always could be worse. <laughs> and that's, I got, that's the takeaway. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, unless you've had to sleep on some stranger's couch immediately after they've been drugged to a fucking a medical facility. Uh, and, and I guess it, it couldn't be much worse than that. So it, if, unless you've had that happen, it can always be worse. Got one more, Brian. I don't know whether you'll like this one or not. Because of Todd. Sounds fake. <laughs> oh, Todd. Todd from Milwaukee. You know, the, 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 uh, crush, the, the man that made Milwaukee famous, the, the city that the crusher made famous. So I was trying to reverse that and it wouldn't come out. But Thomas has written what I think is Todd, a, Todd, rather Todd. I'm sorry. I said Thomas. Well, I've you've, you've got me. You won't you won't let me do this now. <laughs> Todd has written what I think is a well thought out and articulate and reasoned stance 
on some of your opinions. And I think it it bears listening that we should give this man his his airing, his day in court, and see if we can agree with any of the the points that he raises, whether they may be valid or not. I think you'll agree as a grown adult man that that's the least we can do for one of our listeners. Right? It's your show. Hey, Jim. Brian Last is a South Shore smuck who sucks the sweat off a dead man's balls. (laughs) Tell that fucking goof to read other people's emails instead of Charlie from Starkville, Mississippi, for Christ's sake. Oh, God. Jim, there's a special place in hell for assholes like Brian Last. (laughs) Jim, get a new co-host. Brian Last, go fuck yourself, and I'll see you in hell. Todd from Milwaukee. Well, Todd, I guess I'll... I guess you already have a seat reserved for you in hell, but I don't know if I'll be there. This South, I can't even say, this South Shore schmuck will be body surfing for the rest of time. He obviously does have a place picked out. He's going to meet you there. It's not, he's not denying he's going to end up there sooner or later. He's already got the property. That was disappointing. I thought he was actually going to like take me to task for specific things I've said where I have to either defend myself or cower. And nothing. There was nothing. There was no details. Nothing. There's not really any way to do that. Nobody can disagree with you. Well, thank you. Anyway, speaking of disagreeing with people and people who are suitably chastened, before we get into the rest of the wrestling conversation, since yesterday, as we taped this, was an important anniversary in American history, did you see our president, Joseph Biden, not only speak but lay the smacketh downeth up. We're off YouTube, folks. Lay the smacketh downeth on uh, the former occupant of that office. The reason why they had to have it fumigated uh, with A1 pest control came in and sprayed the whole place last January. I'm not going to go on a long one here, but I just want to bring this up. Everybody, what do you think about your boy Joe Biden now? He's senile. He can't form a cognitive thought. He can't string a sentence together. Joe Biden spoke for 30 minutes on the anniversary of the insurrection against the United States of America, January the 6th last, that was instigated and fomented by the former and currently disgraced ex-occupant of the White House, Donald Pigshit Trump and the rest of his enablers, he told he came out there and gave a speech containing words that Donald Trump has never heard and couldn't pronounce if he was aware of the meaning of them for 30 minutes. And he told people the truth, that this was a sad day in American democracy, but democracy held the people responsible would be punished criminally, civilly, etc. And that whether you like it or not, the facts are that Donald Trump used the office of president for his own personal gain instead of the good of the people and tried to keep it through illegal means. And this has been proven. And the only people who still can't accept it are the mentally warped people that are in such denial about this repugnant, reprehensible criminal no longer being allowed to fucking poison and pollute our country with his presence. I liked a couple of quotes. Have you ever heard Donald Trump talk this eloquently about anybody? 
Joseph Biden said Donald Trump has created and spread a web of lies, lies spread for profit and power. He values power over principle, his own interest over America's. His bruised ego matters more to him than his country or constitution. And he used his position and the position of all those around him for personal gain over public good. It was almost like the principal of the high school had to tell all the fucking problem children the truth about their behavior. And this is the guy that people think is senile. Meanwhile, the guy that everyone thought as soon as he opened his mouth was having a stroke blathered on and they thought, oh, that guy should be running things. The fuck? Talk about only seeing what you want to see. That's the problem these days with the people who are still got their heads stuck in the ground about this guy. But you know what? When you stick your head in the ground, Brian, about Donald Trump, you leave your ass exposed. And that's where you're the most vulnerable when dealing with former President Pig shit. All right, we can probably go back on YouTube now. I just wanted to get that in. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Did you see what they did over in Next Land on the new version of NXT? They just did it a little later than we were saying. It, was, it wasn't the first match. It was the second match. But we could see this coming down the road. Um, Braun Breaker is the new NXT champion. And you, that's probably the only thing, and this is no disrespect to Tommaso Ciampa, who carried this thing and has carried the previous match with and has done a fantastic job. But that's the only thing they've done with NXT since Vince and Bruce and whoever else got their grubby little fingers on it that I agreed with. The only change they've made was making this guy the champion. He'll is what is it? What's what's this year's WrestleMania? 38? I'm not sure because they that, stopped using numbers for a few years. So well, not- and then but now that it's two nights, is it 38 A and B? That kind of takes the edge off there too. Uh he'll be the main event in WrestleMania 40, you think? Well, if this is 38, he should be if they don't mess it up. It could be sooner than that, just because they don't have star power. It could be very, it could be a lot sooner than that. I mean, we'll, well see. Here's the other thing. If they go with Brock and Roman, and they may not, but if they go with Brock and Roman as the main event of one of the nights of WrestleMania, and they don't go the lazy route and make it a three-way with whoever wins the Royal Rumble, technically could the winner of the Royal Rumble challenge the NXT champ. Well, technically he could, but we'll get to that when we talk about the the main WWE program. But if I will say this ahead of time, a little tease, Brock Lesnar needs to, they need to figure out a way. Brock Lesnar doesn't need to figure out a way. I don't know if we want Brock figuring anything, but they need to figure out a way that Brock Lesnar blows into that Royal Rumble about another number 25 or so, eliminates about eight or 10 people and wins the son of a bitch. And, and just to fucking have Roman Reigns' head explode. But nevertheless, I, I, I didn't watch the rest of the NXT program, but it, I feel some duty to tell you what you missed if you didn't, like me, didn't watch this program. I saw the a, highlights of the Braun Breaker Tommaso Ciampa match. Yes, well, I mean, I'm for the public out there also. 
If you didn't watch that, and so many of you did not watch this program, I'm going to tell you why you didn't watch it. Um, the, the, it was the New Year's Evil show, right? January the 4th. And they ripped off the Harvey Comics hot stuff, the little devil, put him in the logo of New Year's Evil, right? The opening match for the cruiserweight title, Carmelo Hayes against poor Roderick Strong. And I had no interest in seeing Roddy do a job and I knew what was going to go on here. I skipped to try to get the finish just to see what they did. At one point, Roddy was trying to, allegedly trying to superplex Carmelo Hayes, right? But apparently the spot was going to be that Carmelo would block it in some fashion. And you've seen the deal where they, the guy on the turnbuckles picks the guy up that's trying to superplex him and plants him a belly splash in the ring, right, instead. That's kind of a counter for that. Right, I've seen that. Well, apparently... That's what they were going to do. But instead, old Carmelo went with Roddy. And, and instead of just dropping him, he went with him. And it, since Roddy's arm was still over his head, it, it turned him a front flip and he almost landed on his head. It's hard to explain, but my God. And everybody, including Carmelo's friend Trick, he wasn't about this, about this at all. They shit them so you could hear the people, oh, shit. And then Carmelo that landed on his head, he put his arm over Roddy for a two count. I guess Roddy's calling an audible, like, cover me or something, right? And then he has to tell the guy, apparently Carmelo was supposed to still be on the turnbuckles and leap off as Roddy was getting up and leg drop the back of Roddy's head, and that was his finishing move. But after that fuck up, Carmelo just went to the top rope on the other side, and Roddy got up and he hit him with it. Boom, one, two, three. Uh, but that was a little high spot there. But otherwise, that was the first half hour of the show. And, you know, poor Roddy, as I said. Uh, AJ Styles has been sent down to the minor league to work with Grayson Waller, of all people. This kid looks like if... if if they were redoing the Porky's movies of the 80s, this would be like the 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 preppy rich kid wearing the sweater. He's just so clean cut, and he looks like he's 18 years old. Tommy Turner? Tommy Turner would be just as good as anybody. <laughs> um, and basically, they had a long scripted conversation with each other. And then Grayson Waller perpetrated the single worst up and over that I've ever seen in a professional wrestling ring. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say the up and over? Explain. An up and over is when somebody swings, whether a clothesline or a punch or they've got a bat or whatever, and the other wrestler ducks, but the swinger of the item or the blow doesn't swing in a straight fashion like you would, but goes up and over the fucking guy that ducked for whatever reason to make sure he doesn't hit him so that it's so fucking phony that you can see through it a mile away. That's an up and over. That's the first thing I would scream at guys at in, for, for in OVW or in any type of wrestling training situation, the up and over. And I've told the story before, but briefly, the reason why it registered with me was because the first time I ever worked against Dusty Rhodes in the Superdome. The locker rooms were separate. 
And at the time, my tennis racket had been taken away legally by Mid-South, so I had a cane. And uh, I, because I was wearing a tuxedo, because then we needed a gimmick for Dusty. And I, they, in the finish, I was going to swing at him. He was going to duck and hit me with the bionic elbow. And I told the referee, I said, please go over there. I've never even met Dusty at this point. I said, please go over and tell him I'm going to swing at his head. Please duck, right? Because I don't do the up and over. And the message was relayed. And six months later or whenever it was, actually it was longer than that, that I started working for Dusty. The first time I talked to him, he said, you're the kid who was going to knock out the dream in the Thupadome. But the point is so grayson waller who's already taller than aj and aj's you know is he five nine or whatever aj's coming off the ropes and grayson waller does an up and over he wouldn't have hit andre and then they he they have the fight i noticed that grayson waller has the physique of a really in shape bellhop at a resort hotel in orlando and but AJ came back and kicked Grayson Waller's ass, and Grayson Waller slunk off with his balls in his watch pocket. And so next week, that's the main event: AJ Styles and Grayson Waller. Now that there's so much heat on that, AJ really needs some revenge. Have you heard the big story? Volter is coming to NXT full time. I did just hear that. What do you think about that? Well, it's about damn time. But now. Here's the thing, uh, apparently for, for background, because a bunch of people will try to give it to us if we don't tell them we know it, Volter before didn't want to come to the main roster, didn't want to move to the United States. He wanted to stay at, at home, whether we've said Germany, I think he's Austrian, but wherever the fuck it is he lives in Europe, he wanted to stay there. And you can't blame him. And he wanted to be a big deal in NXT UK and help there. He, and that's admirable also. But apparently, they say over the last couple of years after COVID now with the, I think he may have had, did he break up with somebody or he's had a change in his life where he doesn't mind, you know, testing the waters, moving to the, to the uh, uh, United States. And so now, the, obviously, if they want NXT to be the place where you get guys ready for the main roster, that bodes well that they'll bring Volter to the main roster. It just depends on what they're going to do with him from here. It was a six-man tag where he and Imperium were against MSK and Riddle. And so as much as I love Volter, it's the pudding gang of NXT. So I didn't watch, I watched the finish and, and on basically on speed search, the story of Volter coming it was more important than this match itself. Uh, but uh, basically they, they did their entrance and they interrupted it after the entrance and did a segment with some of the phoniest backstage girls promo bullshit with eight or nine girls in it. I've ever seen in my life. And then they come back and have the match and you know, it's MSK and riddle flippy bullshit. Walter's selling way too much for people that are below his status, but, Hopefully that will change. If if Valter is around Vince very often, now I'll get to that in a second, I don't think he'll be playing with the Pudding Gang very long, even if Vince has lost his faculties. But in the finish of this, Riddle beat 
one of the members of Imperium. So he appears in a six-man tag with his two henchmen and they lose the match to the two street urchins and bro. Uh, I don't know truthfully whether Vince McMahon, and if I had to bet, I would say he hasn't, whether Vince McMahon has seen the match between Volter and Elia, e any, either of them, any of them. Um, and I know people, oh my God, it was on takeover and it was on this and that. I don't mean Vince watched it. If Vince wasn't in the arena or actively involved in the production of that program, I know there was shit he didn't watch 20 years ago and he's a lot older and a lot busier now than he was then. And I don't know whether anybody ever pushed Volter to Vince for the simple fact of the matter is it could have backfired on him because at least Triple H, of course, we're seeing what his opinions mean these days on what he was trying to build. But Triple H obviously saw something in him because they were willing to sign him, even though he wanted to stay in NXT UK and only do, you know, a, a venture out every great once in a while. But Vince in the old days, I don't know about now, but in the old days was the kind of guy, if he had seen Valter and Elia or Valter and, you know, a couple of the other really good matches he's had and somebody pitched Vince, look at this guy, look at whether he's an Austrian general or a Prussian general, or he's got that, the face and look at the hands. And can you see him dressed up in a, the military uniform, or I mean, they would have pitched him because look at that faith or the Rocky villain. If he dies, he dies. Anything in that vein. Vince would have been the kind of guy then would say, well, let's do it, pal. Well, but he doesn't want to move over here. He only wants to work. Well, get him or fuck him. That would have been a potential thing that Vince would have said. If Vince had liked him enough from what he saw and liked the sales pitch, it would have been get him over here and let's do this or fuck him. We don't need him. That's what you ran the danger on. So now the question is, has Vince completely lost the, all the taste that he used to have? Is anybody going to sit him down and say, look at what these two guys did and look at what this guy's capable and listen to the interviews with the accent and you see the facials and really go to town on selling Valter to Vince? It, or is, is Vince now looking for what Nick Khan thinks a modern-day wrestling fan or might want to see or a modern-day wrestler might look like? Is that why we got so many MSK-looking motherfuckers? Who knows? But if he's here and if he's in NXT, if somebody at least had set the old Vince down, and said, here's five minutes of highlights of what these guys did with this, look at this fucking guy with this little guy. You could put this on fucking SmackDown on network television and watch this display of violence, and it will get this guy over and his, prog or his promos and dress him up and make him that arrogant. I mean, Vince at one point had a hard-on for Alexander Carolyn in the 90s, the experiment, 
He wanted to do the ultimate foreign menace, a fighting machine. So if somebody with access to Vince that wants to can go in and sit down and say, look at this fucking guy, then if Vince decides to go with it, he'll go with it. But if it's far enough gone that they don't even want a violent wrestler, then I don't know, you know, the, the, he's a lot more of a, a uh, an SS general than he is Colonel Clank at Stalag 13. So Walter doesn't need to be entertaining. He needs to be a violent fucking individual. I'm not even sure if they're looking for that anymore. What do you think? One of the few matches that I could think about and get excited about is Walter versus Rex Steiner. And oh, yes. If this is a road to that, I'm happy with it. I don't know how it's going to work. You know, we still don't really understand what NXT is right now. All of Paul of X guys are gone. We could say Paul of X gone pretty much from NXT. I mean, Sean's still there, I guess. But maybe, and I'm not saying it'll be good, but maybe this will be reshaped into a developmental show the way Vince has been convinced he should see it. And it'll be guys like this and then a bunch of crap. We don't know, but Walter stands out in that company like a sore thumb. And I hope they don't mess him up. I hope they don't put him in some, you said like they put him in a military office. And I hope it, if they did something, I hope it was only that. Because I could see a whole lot worse. We got to show that he's funny. Well, yeah, no that'll be wants. the death. That'll be the death. Because once that, that people have, are seeing this guy regularly, keep fear of him in their minds if he does anything funny and he he doesn't do that at all in his matches because i've said he's the smartest guy at working his style that i've seen today he doesn't do anything that he shouldn't do uh if they start making him that's that's the fucking death knell right there anyway we shall see about our friend of alter but Walter was followed up by a Vimmons triple threat match for the title between these three individuals cora jade who is apparently five feet tall and about 90 pounds and came out on a skateboard rode it better than johnny ace used to raquel gonzalez we know her she's six feet tall easily she came out on a motorcycle and one was too small and one was too big. Here came the one, Mandy Rose. She's just right. They flew her in in a helicopter. They had to do that before the break because she had to get out of the helicopter and walk in the building. And then she, so she got two entrances, flew into the parking lot in a helicopter. Wait, you're serious? Then, well, yes. On. I thought you were joking. They really flew no. her in in a helicopter? Yes. Cora Jade comes out on a skateboard because she's supposed to be the idol of all the little little girls out there between whatever fucking ages that those little girls are between. And Raquel Gonzalez is the female Magnum TA and she came out on a motorcycle, but Mandy Rose is the big star. So they flew her in in a helicopter <laughs> and, and then had a little GoPro camera of her in the helicopter looking like, shit, is this thing going to land okay? And then she gets another sexy entrance down the aisle. This all took for fucking ever. Ever. And so anyway, zipping ahead, bell to finish after all those entrances, it was still 15 more minutes of the match, and then it was done. 
Who won? Who cares? Because the next thing was Andre Chase in the ring in a long segment trying to give Von Wagner a scholar. Remember Von Wagner is the son of one of the Beverly brothers. Is it Wayne Bloom? Yeah, Wayne Bloom. Wayne Bloom. I've, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that they have probably already corrected this issue, I would think, in this young man, but he's obviously had a pituitary gland issue because of the protruding what is it? The eyebrow bones, the bones under the eyebrow, the, the brow, the brow, the protruding brow. It You can't look away from it. It's. It, he looks like a fucking a, a Gorn or a fucking Romulan. Yeah, it's like Wayne Bloom made love to a Frankenstein mask. Um. Oh, well, come on now. Don't insult his mother. His mother probably had nothing to do with this. I meant Karloff. Excuse me. But anyway. So Andre Chase, who's a heel was out there to give Von Wagner a scholarship in Chase University, but Von Wagner's a heel, and Von Wagner beat him up after this promo. He's in no way ready to speak on TV because he's just, he's reciting it, and there's no emotion, and you can tell he's not comfortable with his facial expression. But with his size and with that face, and if he grows into talking like he, right now he sounds like Rick Rude talking in 1980-fucking- Three, if he grows into Rick Rude talking in 1987, you're going to have something here. He, I can see where they have high hopes for him, but I don't know if I'd like to see him a lot on TV right now nationally, but for all the reasons we've discussed with everybody. Uh, who, what was it? It was it. Uh, Scotty Two Hotty said, "Green against green on national TV is a recipe for disaster." Here on the internet here lately. Uh, but both these guys were heels. This made no sense. But And then Von Wagner goes out in the crowd and starts pulling fans over the railing and beats up a bunch of planted fans, and they tried to actually work a riot. But <laughs> What? But, Wait, hold on. Yes. I didn't hear about any of this. Yes. Helicopters and riots? Yes. There, there, he, there was a section of guys, and the guy that was standing there first that got pulled over and beat up looked like a better independent wrestler than the people doing jobs on AEW television this week. And and the, the, the guys, nobody came over the rail until he was ready for him, and he's beating up a bunch of people in the crowd, supposedly, and then security comes and wrestles him off, and then he later on in another segment, about 15 minutes later, he's being walked out of the back like it would take that long if this it, it just, it was, it was bad fake. But the Champa Breaker match that was, that's what anybody that was watching this, that's what they wanted to see. Uh, the rematch for the NXT title, Champa and Breaker, they fooled us the first time I thought they were just going to pull the trigger on it right away, but instead they put Champa over and they waited and they did the freshen up business in the war games. And it's, it's been better for Braun Breaker because he's even better now. And it's scary how quick he's getting good. And they gave him both the, the long walks in the back and then the match was commercial free. So again, the, the WWE one thing you cannot take away from them, even and if even if sometimes they refuse to do it, is that they know how to do the little things. 
the things that make a, a big match seem like a big match or just the little television production things, or they don't just waste shit and not, and make it unimportant when it could be made important. So they built and they still had 14 minutes on the air when the entrances started. And then I'm pretty sure that, you know, uh, they, uh, I don't know that they've done an overrun over the last several weeks. Have they? Not that I'm aware of. Because they did here, and that made it even better. So anyway, uh, a lot of people mentioned Braun Breaker comes out for his entrance. There's a big gold X in the aisleway, and he gives it the big boot and kicks the X in half. Like <laughs> They're like, they're killing the black and gold brand. I got news for you. I was done before he kicked the X. But again, old Braun Breaker, Rex Steiner, he's got an incredible game face. You believe that he's fired up. He's he's like a Goldberg. He's firing himself up for real. He's 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 like his father. He's kind of fired up and 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 or his uncle. And every once in a while, they they might get carried away. That's the danger of a guy this fucking massive and strong. But it's adds to his unique look and attitude and and champa again has a unique look it has the same qualities you believe him he's got a game face he's serious he he believes it himself they did the introductions the female ring announcer trying to do the deep voice it's a you know eh. um and a female referee for this was a visual buzzkill because how dangerous can these guys be but um, I couldn't help but noticing what you pointed out on the show last week or whenever. No weight, no hometown. Introducing the challenger, Braun Breaker. That's so flat. Yeah. It's not only not sporting-like, it's not even... There's no... I'm not saying you got to announce everybody like... A, what's it call it? The fucking guy in A Knight's Tale doing the carnival barking for the fucking Coliseum crowd. But... It, you build it up, build your champ, champion and your challenger up a little bit of that 200 and whatever pounds from the great state of confusion, whatever. So they, they opened up with a hot spot and Steiner is, is letter perfect. He's so strong. And, but the difference is like Dr. Death, Steve Williams, he can show the strength uh, it, uh, by applying it to real wrestling moves and settings like dr death wasn't the the world champion bench presser but he could press a 300 pound fucking guy over his head multiple times in the ring he could show his strength in a wrestling setting so uh, you know steiner's the same way and you can see that champ is leading this but Steiner knows how and how much to sell shit. He doesn't oversell everything or sell everything the same amount. He's there for everything in the right place. The match made sense. Um, they had a good pace. Uh, at, at one point, I don't know if you saw in the highlights, Steiner catches Champa. In uh, Champa was going for a Thez press, and Steiner caught it and just spun him into a spine buster. And a, a big move and perfect. And, you know, Champa's doing the little subtle heel things like when 
you know, uh, he, he'll nut Braun Breaker or Steiner on the rope or on the top rope or whatever and and stay on him, but then he'll let Steiner come out and hit another one of these fucking things. Uh, uh, he hit another spine buster and a standing moonsault. And I was going to say, wow, that form on the standing moonsault was perfect. Poor old Red Velvet ought to take notes of that. But then apparently... When he came down with that moonsault, he busted Champa's eyebrow open with apparently his elbow. Because that's the only thing it could have been, because Champa start bleeding moments later. And then Champa has those knee lifts and pulls his pad down, and it looks like he's laying them in. It's not like those sissy, fucking, skippy, dippy video game knees that Olivier and the Hardly boys do. This looks like a man trying to fucking knee you in the face. And they go into the overrun. They're trading in the middle. Steiner came out with a Frankensteiner and they called it that. Uh, crowd was barking in some places. Um, did you see the part where Champa, Steiner went for his press into the power slam and Champa came out of it and countered it into the widow's bell where he had Steiner draped over the ropes. Yes, I did see that. And Steiner positioned himself perfectly going into that on on the fly, on the move. Uh, then the half crab, the rope break, Champa pulls the floor pad up and exposes the, the floor, so he's going to do some damage. But <laughs> what a bump. Steiner, Alabama slammed. Champa, like Bob Holly used to, on the announce desk, and it exploded perfectly. And Champa bounced up and landed in a sitting position, and then fell back again. You couldn't do that again in a million. That years. let me stop you. That was one of the most impressive looking, and it was filmed or was shot perfectly. Yeah, the way Champa hit that thing, it was amazing. That was so impressive. And and he sold it per. And you know he, I mean, he had to go with it. But you know that because when something like that happens and you can tell that, well, that was perfect and I really had nothing to do with it because I had no control over the, the shit that I had no control over. He just landed and went with it. He knew it was great. Anyway, Steiner hit his finish, but Champa got the ropes at, a two, at the two count and broke it up. And at that point, I wrote, this is incredible. For a guy, somebody said that, Steiner has just had this would be his 12th match. I think somebody said in front of people. And so we I may I've missed a few of those, but for a guy with 50 matches, this is just insane. Or I, I mean even more. Um so Champa nuts Steiner again with the rope and hit three of those knee lifts and hit a pedigree and got a two count. And they call it something else besides the pedigree, but and then Suddenly, Steiner comes out from under. Champa takes a bump. Steiner hits the bulldog off the top rope, just like his dad. Steiner recliner, just like his uncle. Tommaso taps out. In and and again by both guys. But especially this fucking guy is a freak to have that few matches and be able to do this and get through that and. In that fashion, is he's got everything so far, except we'll find out if he's got the right kind of creative behind him, and that's not his fault. We'll see what happens. It was interesting, too, that 
He's always worn really colorful outfits in the past, and this time it was all black. Yeah, I'm. Mean, you know, it, well, also you got to think about it when he was doing that was not tie-dyed, but just that psychedelic thing. He blends in with the background and the logos and everything. If you're wearing black now, you will stand out from the background instead of the other way around. Used to, if you wore black, you blended in. Now the only thing that stands out from the rest of that whole set is black. I imagine they'll play with it a little bit and see what he looks best in and feels most comfortable, but I just hope they remember, even if this is a developmental program, he's still on national TV. So, again, he looks like he can handle whatever as long as it's serious in in a, in a creative fashion. Same thing as Valter. They can't have this guy doing ha-ha. And a lot of people will call, well, his dad was doing it, <clears throat> you know, in the varsity club, the dog-faced gremlin, and he had a fucking imaginary friend and et cetera. For one thing, there was a lot less ha-ha back then, so it stood out as different instead of more of the same ha-ha. It took a lot of people seriously back then. So you could be different by doing that. Now nobody's being taken seriously, so the way to be different is to be taken seriously. And for a guy in this day and age that looks like that, that has this much talent, he just doesn't need to be doing silly shit to show that he's entertaining. Where else you gonna look at this guy's facials, the way he fires himself up and he gets pumped up. And every time you hear him cut a promo, he's got that stunner wine to him. You know, it, it, you, it, he's entertaining just like he is. Where are you going to see somebody else like this? Anybody can fucking imitate Benny Hill. Although it didn't air, did you see Rick Steiner was there and he celebrated in the ring with his son after the event? Yes, it was Ceased on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Yes. It, it, well, <laughs> And I mean, did they put, no, they didn't put him in the hall of fame. They, they, they're not, they're not happy with Scott, but why I don't understand why they're not telling that story from the start to get people behind him even more than they already would be. They're not hiding it, but they're not saying it, which is an odd thing. Actually, it's an odd thing for anybody to be able to talk Vince and to be a neutral about anything. He wants to go full bore with whatever the fuck he wants to go full bore with. So they won't come out and admit it, but they know everybody knows it, and they will give the wink, wink, nod, nod little clues. The recliner and the dog barking and the dog face gremlin and the everything else. So what do you think the fucking issue is? I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure, but you, know, you bring up Von Wagner earlier. They give these guys stupid names, and here you have someone who's ready to go from everything we've seen, and he has a dumb name, and right now is the time. Just make the change right now. It'll benefit everyone. Because in what? In, in two months, Braun Breaker would be forgotten, and they'd be calling him Steiner. And that would significantly help, because again, the name test, do you want... In the main event of WrestleMania, whatever the fucking number is, Roman Reigns versus Rex Steiner or Roman Reigns versus Braun Breaker. It just sounds phony. One of the Marvel Comics heroes or, or supervillains that didn't quite make the, the cut and somebody swept up after Stan Lee one night and got the idea. But anyway, right now, Brian... 
Good old Braun Breaker Rex Steiner is the undisputed reigning and defending NXT champion, and you've got to imagine that after that match and that great performance, he must have slept like a king. Oh, of course, after that match. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, folks, you can sleep like a king, like a Steiner, or even like a breaker. You don't even have to win a championship. You don't even have to press slam anybody. All you have to do is just lay down to sleep in your brand new Helix mattress because the folks at Helix Sleep have a mattress that is designed for you no matter what your body type, no matter what your sleep preference. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? Because with Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way that you sleep. If, if you sleep on your stomach, or on your side, or on your back, they've got a mattress. If you sleep standing up in the corner, just get one of these bad boys, lean it up against the wall, and just lean back, however you sleep. <laughs> well, they, don't you know, re- like, they don't recommend that method to get your sleep. There used to be a guy that slept, took naps, standing on, leaning up on the front porch, and uh, that lived down from my grandfather in Duck Run, Kentucky. And sometimes little neighborhood children would just come up and, and they liked him. They just put an apple in his hand while he was standing there. He was asleep, but he was, he was leaned up against the front porch. So he was kind of standing there. If you didn't look too close, you'd think that he was just standing there, but really he was asleep. Anyway, Helix knows that everybody's unique. So you get on the helixsleep.com site. And you take a two-minute quiz because they've got the soft, the medium, and the firm mattresses, cool-down mattresses, mattresses for spinal alignment. If your spine's aligned, they'll give it a twist anyway, just to make sure. All these mattresses, you take the quiz, they match you up to the perfect one for your body type and preferences, and then they send it right to your home. It comes shipped for free in a box in the uh, imaginary... uh, Magical unboxing process is easy and quick. You don't need two or three people to lug this thing around. It springs to life, but not in a dangerous way. It won't put your eye out. And then it's got a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. There will be absolutely no risk. When you're on the Helix mattress, they warranty and guarantee that you are free of risk. You can't die. You can't be killed. Nothing bad could happen to you as long as you're touching the Helix mattress. Once you get up off this mattress, well, then your risks begin again, and they cannot cover you. Right, Brian? Wait, what? You get to try it out for 100 nights, and it's risk-free. That means yes. as long as you're on the Helix mattress, you are free of risk. Nothing bad can no. happen to you. You're See, not that's risk- what I thought you said. That's what I See, thought you the, said. See, the, 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 the ceiling can't fall in on you. Well, it could. Uh, a plane can't land on your house. You can't have a heart attack. You could. It's like death takes a holiday. All as of- long as you're on the Helix mattress, you are risk-free. But if oh you God. get off that mattress, even f- if you stop touching it for one second, shit's on. Anything can take place because you're back in the risk land again. Ladies and gentlemen, you have no risk of injury just because you're not touching a Helix sleep mattress. And for the record, Helix sleep does not prevent you from any deadly injury that would be caused by, let's say, a plane landing on your house. There well, are certain says, things out of the warranty. There are certain things they don't cover against. But says, when it comes to a good night's sleep, they are the one you want. 
10-year warranty, try it out for 100 nights, they're risk-free. All right. But they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. And if you're still alive and had nothing bad's happened to you, then you'll be there when they come and they'll pick it up and take it away. And, I, and they'll think you're assholes because it's a beautiful mattress. It's just something wrong with you, the reason why you don't like it. But anyway, Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. If you can be flexible with your payments, so can they. So a great night's sleep is never far away. And right now, folks, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners, just the important people, the ones that listen to us, our chart-topping programs at helixsleep.com slash J-C-E-H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash J-C-E, up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders and two free pillows, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E, and, and you'll you'll be fairly safe on these mattresses, uh, even no matter what Brian says. I said you'll be safe on the mattress. I mean, when it comes to good sleep. Well, you said they the won't be risk-free. They might still have a heart attack, brain aneurysm, some type of uh, maybe a, a, a pileup on the parkway will land in their living room. I get you said that the Helix sleep mattress can't protect them from everybody, even though it's risk-free. So I'm trying to leave these options open. HelixSleep.com slash JCE. All right. Well, we got some bad news this past week. Apparently, and I've already made the change to my DVR, but apparently we're going to have to start recording Raw now and do the same thing we did with SmackDown to search for Reigns, Heyman, or Lesnar now on Raw. They surprised us because of the switch in the day one pay-per-view. Roman got the COVID. Brock won the other title, and now Brock appeared on this past Monday's Raw, and also so did Heyman, who was not at the pay-per-view in Atlanta on day one. And I didn't know about it ahead of time, so I had to watch the the clips that they put out, uh, the official WWF or WWE-sanctioned clips which only contains part of the story. And I went back and actually read the recap to see. I was sure I missed something. I read the recap on PWInsider.com. And we just, I know they had to change plans, but it basically the show opened with Paul Heyman in the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Brock Lesnar and out comes Brock and they're together. When we last saw Heyman 10 days before that, he was disheveled, hadn't shaved, and his career was over. And whatever they were going to do to determine what Paul was going to do was just thrown out along with the match. I'm not saying that I didn't want to see Paul with Brock or that I always want to see Brock and Paul and Reigns now because that's, as we mentioned, about all we got. But doesn't it feel like we missed something in there? That it just, okay, everything, all is forgiven. It was all a plot, but we never found out what the plot was because the plot never came to fruition. Or did it? What did I miss? Well, I mean, it's not what you missed. It's what Roman Reigns missed, which was WWE Day 1. That changed everything, and we don't know what the long-term plans were. If this was 
you know, where things would have been in a month or two or whatever. But there's still things they need to explain clearly. The bigger thing to me was it just felt like there was no oomph to it. It was nice to see Heyman with Lesnar again. But it was just a segment with Heyman and Lesnar. I don't know. It felt like it needed to be a little bit more just coming off that pay-per-view and with questions about Roman and knowing that Heyman's with Lesnar. It would have only been another, what, three weeks if just take Heyman out of the equation for a second with what happened at the pay-per-view Brock in dominant fashion wins the other title, whichever one they call the other title that Reigns doesn't have. But we don't, we didn't see Heyman and we don't know what Heyman's doing. They've announced the match for the Royal Rumble, which I'm all in favor of Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley, because Lashley is the only one that got offense on him and almost had him beat. If not for the, interference and etc of the other competitors so what about if they'd gone to the royal rumble and it's brock versus lashley and mvp is obviously there at ringside brock's by himself which puts him in a sympathetic position with the people and then at some climactic point when he's about to beat lashley Heyman, or, or uh, let me try that again, when uh, when he's almost going to get beat by Lashley, Heyman shows up, and they do the little swerve, and then they reunite them somehow, when Lesnar needs it, because, do you see where I'm going with that? Because there was no reason for yeah. Paul to come out and show that he was with, that all uh, everything's cool and we're copacetic, when he wasn't needed to win lesnar the title and he wasn't needed to assist in lesnar retaining the title although and i'm not saying this justifies it they did try to have that explained a little bit with brock saying that it was Heyman was responsible for him getting the belt last night and Heyman was doing all these things behind the scenes well but it, it also he was responsible for getting him in the fucking match but he didn't do anything to help him win it because he wasn't he, he wasn't even there it was owen um, I don't, you know, but again, as I said earlier in the program, I think they really ought to shake his fucking thing up and shake people up and just, and shake up their preconceived notions about what's going on. If they want to pour some fucking steam on this thing, if they do, let, let's say maybe, for example, maybe Brock loses to Lashley at the Royal Rumble. Now, I mean, now that we've already uh, revealed that Heyman's around, Brock loses to Lashley at the Royal Rumble in the title match through some fucking swervy means, not just because he got beat, and then shows up in, in an open position or takes somebody out, g goes in the Royal Rumble the very next match and kicks the shit out of some people and wins it, and he's still going to meet Reigns at wrestlemania i like that i mean you know you could do that now that wouldn't wouldn't make sense with what i just said but since they before about Heyman and etc but since they ain't going to do that now that horse has left the barn they could do something like that but i just i just felt like we missed a part of the puzzle with them just deciding to go ahead and well they're just here now we didn't even we didn't even see a big reveal or the aha moment, or the you're the father. 
Although nobody's ever suggested that Paul was the father of anything. Oh, stop it. They announced Reigns is going to be on SmackDown on Friday, correct? Yes, they did. So at the very least, could not Brock have come out? And then could the news that Reigns will be at SmackDown have been imparted? And then somebody find Paul Lee, and that would be a place. Now he's he's in a fucking gutter somewhere. He's behind a bingo hall in South Philly. <laughs> on Swanson and Rittner is where they they see the Swanson and Rittner street sign and they pan down and there's Paul. Now he's got a fucking beard and he's in the, and he's in his old trench coat and his old hat with a fake ponytail. And he's got a fucking bottle with a brown paper bag around it. He's like, I, I don't know what's going to happen now. I'm, I'm finished. I'm done. I'm, I'm gone. Let him fight it out. And then he shows up, and I don't know. Just me. Just me. But as long as they can keep Lashley and Reigns and Brock on somewhat of an even keel, then they've got a couple of different ways to go for the next several big events. Somebody said, well, how dare you, Cornette, and talked about how thanks for coming, Big E, but it's time for the big boys to play because it's WrestleMania season. And, you know, Seth and Kevin Steen were nice foils in this, but everybody believes in these three guys. And somebody said, Cornette's such a racist. Of course he wanted to see Big E lose in favor of people like Brock and Lashley. And I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, I'm a racist because I wanted the one black guy to kick the shit out of the other black guy because I like the one black guy better. Fucking hell. Speaking of people I liked better on the program, I guess now if we do record Raw and zip through that, we'll be, we won't have to watch the Vince McMahon-Austin Theory segments on YouTube later on, and we'll get to see if Theory actually does anything worthwhile. But my God, again... This week, it's it's the same thing now every week. Poor Austin Theory, who looks like a the the cover of a Blue Boy magazine, to quote Cindy Lauper. He's gay, he's a physique. He's a great looking kid. We've said he can work. What a natural in the ring. He's having to sit there and nod and react to the blatherings of a. Did you watch the closed captions? No, I forgot what? to. I God forgot. Damn to. you! Just damn your eyes! Damn you to hell, Brian Last! It, it, every time that I watch one of these YouTube clips of Vince and Austin Theory, for whatever reason, the way I'm getting it, I don't know how this shit works, but I've got the closed captions on those clips, and the closed captions are gibberish. It cannot figure out what Vince is saying. It can sometimes. Because they talk over each other when Austin's saying, oh, yes, or agreeing or whatever. And Vince is saying something else. They can't even figure out any of it. But Vince's, the closed captioning is like, I, I, I'm throwing my hands up. He's looking away at what I think are bullet point cards. Because he'll be talking to Austin Theory, but then he'll look off to the left. And that's where the car, and these are not, somebody's going to think it's cue cards like Johnny Carson's monologue was written down word for word, right? And he's to no, know if this is any kind of card, it'd be bullet points that Vince is probably 
determined himself that he wants to do this. That's where the cards would be placed is the direction he's looking if they were using them. And his eyes, to quote Mama Cornette, look like two piss holes in a snowbank. It's just, it's, they're floating in there somewhere. It looks like his suit is the only thing holding him upright. And so theory has to do nothing but wait to react to the babbling and the harumphing. But I watched this twice. The first time just reading the, the closed captions and, and just, and it was fucking hilarious. And then the second time I watched for them interacting with each other and I still never watched for the content. I don't know what he's talking. He's, he's oh, you're going to be in the Royal Rumble. And if you get, to, if you win the Royal Rumble, you'll get a chance at any championship you want to challenge for. And Theory's mind is blown like this hadn't been the case for the last however many years and everybody knows it. But otherwise, it's just Vince taking him to task for interrupting and then saying, but I like to interrupt people. Shows you don't care about them or whatever. I mean, it was just, What's going on here? And does someone need to tell Vince McMahon, of all people, Vince, you're damaging your legacy by appearing on television in this fashion? I don't know if anyone will have the guts to say that to him. He looks less like Vince McMahon than he does. Remember the Genesis video for Land of Confusion with the puppets from Splitting Image in England? That's what he looks like. I don't know why he's on camera. All of a sudden, we've been watching these bad backstage vignettes for years. They're all shot one way. This is the first time where all of a sudden they're switching cameras in the middle of this thing? They've never done that before. And if they have, it's a rare occasion. And you'll watch Vince. What you could see of his eyes, he's looking off camera somewhere and reading something. It did seem like that one from the two shot to the close up of Vince was very well done. If it had been another company, you could probably have told, but this was very well done, but I believe it was an edit because I don't think they could get through all two minutes or whatever of this thing in one take. And then you have the close-up of Vince because they had to cut to something. You couldn't have a jump cut from two shot to two shot. And like you said, it looked like he was absorbing some of the content off of a sheet and not necessarily interacting with Austin theory and give him and give him credit. Cause he's doing whatever he he's been given a lot of shit and Austin theory is doing as much as he can. You could tell to get them to see, Oh, okay. He's trying. He's doing everything. <laughs> oh, it's like he's an organ grinders monkey and Vince is the organ grinder. And he's, he's, trying to do his part but if the organ grinder's not very entertaining you're ended up with you're just watching the monkey jump around can you imagine this is the guy ordering all those raw script rewrites all day the day of the show oh my god it's this guy because i mean i'm used to that i've but i've it used to be all right i'm gonna take out sig six we're gonna insert triple h we're gonna insert the undertaker We'll have 15 minutes for that match. We'll go to the break. We'll come back from the break. I mean, everything is, he's reading it to you. You're, he's dictating it. You're taking it down. Everything is precise. He's coming up with this on the spot. I can't imagine hearing rewrites from this Vince 
who's talking about pencils and erasers and you know whatever the fuck he's in his own he's in his own mind in his own world don't forget the egg and the egg splooge splooge on my egg here's the other question and look we can't you are a wrestling genius i will never ask you to try to figure out what the fuck they're doing (laughs) up there what's the end game do you think for austin theory out of this I, I think On somehow, face, you know, for at face value for whatever this is, what's the end game? I think somehow Vince perceives that he is that this is portraying to the fans that he has taken Austin Theory under his wing because he likes the ruthless aggression and or the attitude and whatever of their other marketing slogans that the kid has, but he's going to show him tough love and bring it out. In a in a uh, forceful manner, uh, force him to 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 get to the top. That's what Vince is telling himself and telling other people, probably, maybe not as articulately as I just did. Um, what the gist of this thing is, but as it's coming across, I I I'm thinking that there's nobody there that has the capability to tell vince well that may be the idea but in execution it ain't coming across so that's what i think's going on hey one more thing i will say we talk about so much negative stuff with wwe but when you start thinking about their future if they don't mess it up and they mess up almost everything or if they don't scare off wrestlers who want to leave because they're fed up with it but with an austin theory and a rex steiner Walter, I mean, he's a little bit older, I think. There are some guys there. There are starting to now have some guys that aren't yet in the main event mix. But when they finally get there, it'll be a nice break from the Seamuses and the Randy Ortons and everyone who's been doing it for the last 15 years nonstop. Yes, because they desperately need fresh guys on top, but those guys need to look like they're supposed to be on top. And there's been a problem over the last several years. So. Hopefully, as you said, if they don't screw it up. But um, would would you like Vince to take you under his wing, Brian? Maybe get you to the top? No, thank you. No, he could blow pencil shavings in your face. And and he could say weird things that you don't understand the meaning of, but you nod your head anyway. But you know what? I'm thinking WWE is a big company, right? They got a lot of money. They got all the TV rights fees and everything coming in. Why are they still letting the head of their company write down his own bullet points on little poster board when they could be feeding Vince his lines so that he could do these things in a better and more efficient manner? They could be feeding him his lines in some kind of earpiece or maybe even the Raycon wireless earbuds. Oh, what a great idea. Because that way, and here's the thing, Vince's earlobes are so big anyway, you could stick these things in, the people would never see him on camera. Because there's no wires, there's no stems. You don't look like my favorite Martian when you're wearing the Raycon everyday earbuds. No! They've got the perfect in-ear fit. We've talked about that. You don't even need to lube them up. Just shove them in dry and the fun begins. And that way, people would be able to tell Vince what to say so he could then just kind of formulate those words maybe they could put a transmitter in his mouth and he could hear it in his ear and it would come out of his mouth all he'd have to do is open his mouth wide like donald sutherland 
in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But anyway, folks, if you don't want to listen to the producer of your television show because you're not on one, but you want to listen to music or podcasts or whatever you listen to, just not the nattering of your bitchy other half, then all you have to do is take these Raycons with you wherever you go because they go with you. There's also, as we've mentioned, an awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings, when you know your wife is going to hit you from behind with a frying pan, you know that the train is bearing down on you, you just hit that awareness button and you'll be able to hear it right before your brain caves in. Otherwise, folks, they sound great. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands, eight hours of playtime, 32-hour battery life. I can't even stay up that long. And right now, program listeners of our fine podcasts, all the people in the cult of Cornette can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com, slash J-C-E, 15% off everything on the site, buyraycon.com, slash J-C-E. Hear it in your ear, Brian. I would like to. I'd like to hear it in my ear so I can not have to read the closed captioning that you yelled at me for not reading. I just went back and checked. There are several moments of inaudible. <laughs> yes, there, there, there's some inaudible too, but some of the words that they think that Vince said that he didn't say are, are even... Uh, when you pause this thing, he's clearly looking off camera. He's yeah. clearly reading off something. Yeah. It's... Uh, and this is a guy who used to go in the ring for 20-minute soliloquies. And, and it's a two-minute pre-tape. So, that's all I'm saying. All right. You know, I wonder if... When you apply for unemployment from the WWE, do you go into your local office or do you have to go into Stamford? I'm wondering if the woman at the unemployment office on her desk is going to have a picture of her homely daughter that George Costanza can can uh, butter up and, and get an extension. I'm wondering if all of the WWE wrestlers are going to be in the same boat. They're going to have to be dating the homely daughters of their local unemployment office representatives well you gotta think the line has to at least be pretty big well i mean somebody even for the new year the uh, one of the sites put out an entire list of all the what was it 80 90 uh wrestlers that were released this past year and future endeavored from this company uh but this past week it it's getting ridiculous now just the not only the public slap in the face to everything that Triple H did and quality people being let go that could obviously aid the company just because they were hired by Triple H. Um, but it, it's also, it's almost like they sit down and figure out, well, okay, what could benefit AEW most <laughs> at this particular given time and let's give them some because now they've given them so many wrestlers that AEW can't put them all on television. But the one thing that I think it's plain to everybody, nobody can argue, especially after this week, nobody can argue that what AEW needs and has needed for a long time is quality coaches, trainers, and potentially somebody with a booking mind. So what does WWE do? Here, 
Here's the best we've got. I mean, it's 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 almost a rib. They are addressing every single one of their competition shortcomings by making people available. Now, sometimes the competition is not smart enough to avail themselves of these opportunities. But every time they can ascertain our competition needs something, they will immediately fire a bunch of people that fit those positions. Have you noticed this over the last few months? Yeah. It's almost like that Nick Khan doesn't really know how wrestling works. Imagine that. So, shall we go over the brief but shocking list of people who the WWE decided to kick out the door this week? Yes. Yes. Ranjan Singh. Now, apparently under an assumed name, he was also a writer for this company. Uh, but he was a manager of somebody. And he's not a booker, he's a writer. So in this case, I'm not going to argue with this choice because I couldn't pick him out of a police lineup and any of the writers of this program should be fired. Whether past, present, or potentially future. So we got that one out of the way. Timothy Thatcher. Oh, I think I think it was Mike Johnson on PW Insider said it best. Said, well, this just goes to show that they're not interested in employing quality, talented, in-ring professional wrestlers. Um, this guy had something, and they didn't let him show it. Remember when we were doing NXT a while back, he came in with a gimmick that he's this dangerous shooter a throwback to the old days of the snake pit. He'll hook you. He'll stretch you. And every single time they had one of the segments on television where he was going to hook somebody, stretch somebody, the fucking schlub jobber that was supposed to be abused actually reversed, countered, or came out from under Timothy Thatcher's shit. Remember that? Then he'd yeah. get mad about it. Yeah, I remember that. And then they teamed him for a period of time with Tommaso Ciampa, because they were somewhat similar, which may have been a reason not to put them in terms of their serious approach to in-ring work. And then he disappeared, and they never did anything really to get him over, because I can hear again the McMahon-Pritchard-Laurinaitis wing of the party. Well, he needs color. He needs personality. Let's make him a plumber. Maybe he can carry a fucking plunger or whatever so but again not only a really good in-ring wrestler of a legitimate style but also somebody who apparently has been helping out lately with the coaching so they're keeping the wrestlers they're training and they're firing the wrestlers that are teaching them uh did you say steel i can't remember what his real name is they gave it uh, but A. Steele has been a coach there also. He's been in the business for 20-something years. He, uh, not a, a lot of runs at a high level in a major promotion, but he's been a fixture in Chicago. As I think he and CM Punk came up together. Uh, he's been a trainer for a long period of time. He's been involved in promoting shows up in that part of the country. Well, they let him go. There's another coach and a coach in Chicago where they go to a lot because it's the hometown of their biggest star. Um, did you hear about Allison Danger, this story? I just briefly heard about this before we started recording today. 
Um, Allison Danger for the old Ring of Honor fans, but her name is Kathy Carino. She's Steve Carino's sister. And she, I, I don't want to quote when she started wrestling, but she started wrestling in, I would think, at least the early 2000s, um, somewhere around that that point. And she had a lot of experience. She had gotten out of the business in modern times, but obviously being family members and being uh, a lot of your friends in the business, you're still around and involved or whatever. But um they decided to pull the trigger on giving her a job as a coach for the women. And they apparently have her move from Las Vegas just three months ago. She, it was her dream job because she's always loved the business, wanted to be involved. So they move, she moves from Las Vegas to take this job three months ago. And you may know how this works more than I do, but apparently her kid just started school the first day after the new year break. I guess they waited until a new semester or however that goes or whatever. So she's picking her kid up from school on the first day of his new school and gets a call that she's fucking fired. See you later. Go on back to Las Vegas. What? How many people, and I bet you they've learned by now, but how many people in the last year have we heard packed up and moved from some ridiculous location. Bischoff moved to Connecticut from Montana, right? Or Wyoming or wherever the fuck he's at. I assume it wasn't his only residence. I don't know if he drug his wife and everything with him. But people move across the country, sign leases on apartments, put kids in school. And on because they've offered them a job and they've accepted it three months later. Nah, you know, we changed our mind. Fuck you. There would be the goddamn SWAT team would be called to the lobby of Titan Tower. If I was always ready to go home once I got there and saw what it was like, but if they had suggested that I move back to fucking Tennessee in 1996, about two or three months after I'd got up there, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. I'd still be in maximum security. But that's just ridiculous. And the thing is, Vince didn't even do that in the old days when it was the wrestling business and he had control of things. They didn't have human resources. And they weren't a publicly traded company. If Even if he brought somebody in, unless they were just a total schlub and they fucked up on their own, if something didn't work out, I mean, a lot of guys weren't moving back in, in, in those days because they were just flying all over the country. But he would try to make somebody whole if it was a short-term thing and it didn't work out. Or you had the ability, somebody in his circle, Jim Ross, Bruce Pritchard, or myself, or Jerry Briscoe, or Pat, somebody, Jack Lanza, somebody within a group of eight or ten people could say to him in a private setting, hey, you know, so-and-so really got fucked around by this, so can we take care of him in some description? And it would probably happen. But this is just ridiculous and redundant and happening repeatedly. And why would anybody trust anything that they say from this point onward? Because as far as I'm concerned, if, if they decided that they wanted to take the step of asking Kathy Carino or anybody else, Joe fucking Schlub or Tits McGee, 
you want a job with us to do this for this amount of money? And they say, yes. Oh, you got to move from 2000 miles away. Well, are you really sure you want to? Cause we're really sure we want you to. And then if they get stuck and they got buyer's remorse, well, after nine months or so, Hey, probably in about another three months, you ought to be planning on being back where you came from, but at least fucking give them a goddamn chance or a run. Fuck. Anyway, I'm going to talk about the next two together because they're brothers and one's more surprising than the other, but it just goes to show loyalty means nothing. Scott Armstrong and Road Dog, Brian Armstrong. And I mean, Road Dog was the head of creative of SmackDown until what, about a year and a half ago when he finally said, I can't fucking take this anymore because they're, they're all screamed and yelled at. And didn't retire, but moved over to full-time work in NXT because, again, they had a, a nice little working environment, apparently, from what we can understand down there. And it was Triple H's team, and Road Dog and Triple H are friends. The DX connection, the go-back years, the whole nine yards. Scott has been a referee for him. And, again, how do you... Who makes less news, first of all, than Scott Armstrong? You never hear anything bad. He's been in the wrestling business for 40 years. He's got all this experience. He's done everything from wrestle to referee to book shows to run, promote shows. Quality employee, shows up, does what he's supposed to do. No bad habits, no bad reports. Eh, no, probably because, well... He's going to be pissed off if he has to hang around without his brother. But again, Road Dog. All the people they've got in that company now that couldn't fucking tell a wrist lock from a wristwatch and the experience and the knowledge that Road Dog has just of what's going on and, and how to fucking perpetrate this shit and the fact that he was one of the closest people to triple h along with somebody else we're going to talk about in a second and you mentioned Shawn michaels earlier in the program did he move to florida from texas i can't believe he did i don't know so is he only there part-time is he just come in for the tv what goes on there if i mean he's a not only a wwe hall of famer so was road dog and dx but also michaels that's a name nick Khan may say oh well he's He's like one of our big stars from the past, so we shouldn't cut him. We'll, you know, we'll do something else there. Even old man Vince would protect Sean still, I think. Well, I was about to say, even old man Vince, but Sean may be bulletproof because of his name and what he's done there in the past. And also, Nick Khan wasn't around when he was doing all the shit he did there in the past, so he probably doesn't hate Sean Michaels like everybody that was there when he was doing all that shit. But every other member of Triple H's team, including, ne well, next up, two more members of it, Samoa Joe. They fired Samoa Joe last year, and immediately Triple H hired him back because apparently they hadn't consulted him on that. So Triple H hires him back for NXT. They have the fiasco with Karrion Cross where they put the belt on him and then had to get it off of him. So they put Joe back in the ring to get the belt off of him. It was a great match. Then Karrion Cross goes to the main roster where he split up from Scarlett and 
marginalized and made look like an idiot and then fired. Samoa Joe never defends the NXT title, even though he's probably in ring one of the two or three best champions they've ever had. Instead, he relinquishes it because of an injury that we still have not been told what it was. He wrestled just fine, never wrestled again, and now they fire him again. This guy can't be a coach. This guy can't be a trainer. This guy, is, he's done commentary. He's well-spoken. Plus, he could still go in the ring because he just had a match with Karrion Cross what, six months ago. Can you imagine Samoa Joe and Powerhouse Hobbs? Samoa Joe, he, if he's still motivated, if he doesn't just hate the wrestling business after what he's been through, he knows all the young guys. He's a generation ahead of most of the guys in AEW, but he knows how to work with younger guys, and he's impeccable in the ring for his fucking gimmick. But they can't find any way in the WWE to utilize Samoa Joe. But meanwhile, Mandy Rose has a helicopter. Mandy Rose has a helicopter and Joe Gacy has a stooge. And if just to make sure that Triple H got every goddamn lump of coal that was left in every single one of his stockings, they fired William Regal. William Regal. Potentially the best combination trainer, talent scout, guru, you know, mentor figure to almost everybody they've, they've put through there for the last 10 years or however longer than that. Who knows how long? And again, what does AEW need? Trainers and coaches and teachers. And they've just let some of the best go. And not only that, but with, with Regal, he means so much to such a great amount of the stars that have come through for the last however long. They're not going to like that. They're not going to like they've already said on Twitter they can't believe. In some cases, it depends on who it is, how far they can go with what they say. They can't believe it. And what he's meant to them. So that's an incredible acquisition that the other company could turn around and pick up and they've got a direct pipeline on a personal basis to someone that a majority of the modern day WWF talent trusts. It's fucking insane. Regal could recruit talent for Tony Khan for the next 10 years and not get in everybody that would want to come for him. And nobody's even brought that up, by the way. Oh, what a great guy he is. What a great trainer he is. Nobody's talked about that. They've just given Tony Khan a skeleton key to their goddamn talent closet. And while we're on the subject of coaches, trainers, and teachers, and we said they could do with a few less writers, but now there's an actual booker available, Gabe Sapolsky. And I've got to be honest, I've always got along with Gabe for the most part. There was one point in time we were trying to help him in Ring of Honor. He was doing Evolve, and he didn't believe it. It hurt my feelings. He thought I was trying to 
swerve him, but he's more of a wrestling booker than he is a writer. In his early Ring of Honor days, it was a lot of the indie stuff, a lot of the smaller guys and blah, blah, blah. But he did put them in stories that people could latch on to. It just wasn't, it could, that talent and, and that style was not mainstream and it never really got mainstream. But at the same time, that after five years of what, of, of booking Ring of Honor, then he ran his own promotions. He learned through successes and failures how to do that. And then they ended up buying Evolve because of the Indian underground talent that he had had fostered there that they wanted to bring into the NXT system because they made their own Ring of Honor. And he's learned now from working for a major company with a budget, with major television production. So you can't mean to tell me that now Gabe, with a wrestling mind and a mind that's more of a booker than a writer, that has also worked for a company this size, done major league television production like that, and learned some of the things that you have to learn, unfortunately, in this day and age, when you're not just a territory booker, but you're with the big big boys Pinocchio. How the fuck is he not going to be more valuable than Tony Khan, the amateur booker of the year from his basement, who has never done this before for anyone? I'm not saying let Gabe run the company, Tony, but God damn. You're, you're just out of medical school, barely, and you've got a patient that may flatline. Do you want to take him or do you, or, or just so happens, well, there's this guy that's been a heart surgeon for 20 years. Let me, let me see what he thinks. So I, again, this is a wrestling war that both sides on the outside from anybody that has experience in the wrestling business looks like they're trying to lose on purpose. WWE gives them all the talent they need. They pick up on most of it. But then they they put that same talent that they needed drastically on TV with other guys that look like they should be headlining the local cable access program, so they devalue part of that. But then the WWE said, well, we dodged a bullet there. They didn't use all the talent to the best of their abilities, so let's give them some goddamn trainers so that that talent won't be so fucking amateur bullshit anymore and we'll learn how to do this stuff. But we'll hide and watch. He won't pick up half the fucking trainers and the ones he do will not, uh, ones he do, the ones he do, the ones he does won't be the ones he should because that side's still trying to lose on purpose. It's a goddamn clusterfuck. It's a four finger stinker. What do you think, Brian? I mean, there's a lot of things to think about here, but one of the issues is there's now a ton of people Good and bad, but a ton of people with wrestling backgrounds, wrestling experience, major wrestling company experience on the open market. Tony has an unlimited checkbook. Let's not make any mistakes about that, but I think even he realizes he can't hire everyone. He may try, but I think he knows he can't. That's the interesting thing. You'll get a William Regal and you say, yeah, you know, he's going to end up in AEW. There's no way he won't. Because you know what? He'll be an incredibly valuable asset behind the scenes. 
and the workers like him. You know, Gabe Sapolsky, you bring someone like that in, that ruffles some feathers. He's not popular with everyone. William Regal's popular with everyone. You bring him in. I've, I did I did forget that this company also more than ever is a popularity promotion where everybody has to be well-liked instead of good at their job. But as WWE is going through its menopause right now and having its changes. <laughs> changes. The question becomes, what happens with all these people? We've talked in the last several months about the need for a well-funded, serious third promotion right now for this very reason. Tony Khan can't hire everyone. He already doesn't get a lot of these guys on TV. WWE is getting rid of people and looking for people who don't have wrestling experience. What happens now to all these people? It's kind of the shrinking of an industry in some ways. Yes. And that, that's been the problem that, that a lot of people thought that AEW is supposed to alleviate. Well, there's no, uh, there's no alternative. There's no place for guys to go except the evil empire. Well, now... There's no place to go except for the evil empire or the amateur hour. And, but I'll tell you what, Tony Khan could pick up another 20 people easily by just doing the logical, sensible business thing to quote Kerry Silken, what am I running? Make a wish and fire some people of his own because he has still on his roster of his YouTube extravaganzas and, you know, uh, tapings they do in closets somewhere and people see him on their cell phones. He's still got a bunch of people that there's no way in the world that they could benefit the WWE or would they be interested in, the w in, in them in the WWE that might go out and work some independent promotions and maybe in a few years might something might turn on with them and they might be worth a shit but right now they aren't and you could free up i'm sure i'm sure he's i've heard some of the ridiculous amounts that tony khan it was paying some of these guys uh, when he first started signing them as i've mentioned five times more than any other indie promotion would ever pay any of these people and so you've got to think that if you cut 20 what's 20 times 100 grand a year you save a couple million dollars and you'd never know who he cut. If he just cut 20 people, you'd never know they were gone unless you looked for him because he's got that many people and that many unimportant people. He's just too fucking nice. Well, that's what it is. I don't know if it's a case of too fucking nice or what you call it. It's different for wrestling. He's not cutting anyone unless there's a cause like a Jimmy Havoc situation. He's letting the contracts run out of the people he's not going to bring back, but he's not actually firing anyone. So he's a more compassionate but, boss when it comes to thinning out his roster. So instead of firing a Marco stun a year ago, he's going to let his contract run out in a couple months. I thought he was gone already. It's, he's still under contract. That's Seriously? my point. That's my point, I believe. I just read an article this morning See, just, just that he was wad, under contract. Just wad money up, drive down the interstate, and throw it out the fucking window. And there, and at the end of your trip, you'll have the same thing as you've got when you hired Dwarf Dong Sucker. I, I know somebody's out there going, well, he's mad at one promotion because they're firing people. He's mad at the other promotion because he won't fire them. Here's the problem. People at the WWE is firing in large parts shouldn't actually get fired. And also, since they're a billion-dollar corporation making record profits through the middle of a pandemic, eh. But in the case of AEW, 
now that they are trying to, and in some cases succeeding, to present a product that looks like a real promotion, they've got a bunch of guys that should have never been signed in the first place, that weren't ready, that may never be ready, and are not good enough to be in this spotlight. And that is a good enough reason, since he's already paid them for a year or two, to say, you know what? <laughs> Call me in a couple of years. We'll revisit this. Grow up. See you later. Because it's been charity money that they've got so far. They've added nothing to the company. And these these morons are going to be the ones that are remembered as, oh, the building blocks of AEW. We were here at the start. Yeah. And that's why for the first year, everybody thought you were a goddamn dog and pony show. Because that's all we were looking at was you outlaw mud show fucks. No, you know what it's going to be? All the people that Tony kept under contract for a few years, well past the point where he should have cut them. Those are going to be the people that do the shoot interviews and say, I was held back. I wasn't used properly. They kept me on the YouTube show. I couldn't get TV time. That's what you're going to see, I think. They I mean, held that legless guy back. We only took one of them. Yeah, because no one's going to say, look, I really didn't deserve the deal. And I'm just so thankful they gave me three years of making ridiculous money. I'm now going to go back to the high school gym this weekend. No one's going to say that. All of a sudden, the narrative is going to be how AEW screwed up all these talented people that couldn't make it anywhere. Well, anyway, the WWE has bid goodbye to a significant portion of their NXT coaching and training and background staff, and uh, and we'll see what happens from here. But At this again, point, should they get rid of the term NXT? Should they just completely rebrand the whole thing? Why not? Because who gives a shit at this point? It's just, it's, it's, it's bad training school wrestling on big budget television. Now with Braun Breaker and Tommaso Ciampa. And poor Roderick Strong, who's thinking, oh, goddamn, the other three are over there, and I'm fucking here. Uh, but if Tony Khan does not hire William Regal, he's out of his mind. Samoa Joe could make a contribution in a variety of places. Scott Armstrong would be a referee that could referee every match on the card in his sleep and do a better job than the corpse referee and all the rest of the fucking feckless limp-dicked refereeing crew that they have there that just allows things to go on for no... And Scott would take motherfucker down if he had to and hold on to him and say, don't bury me, you asshole. Learn to work. Road Dog, right there, a pipeline to Triple H, but, you know, Road Dog may, I would think, as close as they are, unless Triple H has just been put out to the pasture, he might get a reprieve, but... Anyway, and Gabe Sapolsky... If, if, if Tony, just do do with him what you wanted to do with me. Just pick his fucking brain, because he's goddamn amenable enough that he'll come up with ideas for these fucking off-brand high school gymnasts that you goddamn book. But it, it, his ideas would be better than yours, because he's actually had some for a while. And he didn't just do it in his notebook at night under the covers with a flashlight. He did it professionally. Put it in motion. Just a thought. That's just for me. Ha! But, Brian, speaking of me and what I think of you, what are you doing <laughs> on the various Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network programs this week? A very Brian Last-esque transition there, but of course another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook 
facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. The latest episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast with myself and Mike Mills is out right now. We are in December of 1983. The Midnight Express, Magnum TA, Mr. Wrestling 2, The Poffos, and so much more. Hear the review and the audio today at midsouthpod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Want to make mention of the latest Patreon episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry at patreon.com slash Bowdrin and Barry. The boys talk with referee Nick Patrick. Hear it today, and of course, listen to Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, wherever you find your favorite podcast or at bowdrinpod.com. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Trademark. After the New Year's Star Wars, out right now, here a fun, no rules, no segments, bad audio at times, edition <laughs> of the Super Podcast, where we talk about everything from books to movies to the revival of XPW to Tom Byron to the Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita Falls, Texas, disappearing with everyone's stuff. And so much more, a really fun, fun episode with great guests like Scott Cornish, Dan Farron, Lou Kippelman, Brian Solomon, and of course, Vandal Drummond himself, Kurt Brown. Hear it today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Membership! Trademark. You know, I'm telling you, you got these 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 plugs get longer and longer. You're doing a lot of stuff over there, a lot of fine work over there at the Arcadian Vanguard Network. Thank you. Well, Brian, you always do great work, but I do great work too, and I have breaking news before we talk about this other wrestling program. Did you hear about this? In Houston, Texas, a mother has been charged with endangering a child after her 14-year-old was found in a car trunk at a drive through COVID testing site, the mom explained that the child tested positive for COVID and had to be quarantined. <laughs> uh, this is a new one. I had not heard this one before. Well, that's it, folks. And now we'll go to back to wrestling. <laughs> I've had a few people in car trunks before, but they, you they know, were sick at the time. You hear a story like that, you just wish there was a way yet you could operate on someone and just remove their brain and just, fix it. Just take the brain out. Fiddle with it. Put it back in. Yeah. It'll be fine. Well, speaking of, they started out with a brain on AEW this past January the 5th, and they ended up like the Scarecrow. No brain. Um, I don't honestly know if a television program has ever started better and ended worse in the history of wrestling. And especially for AEW, that's saying something. But they managed, they start with... The only reason this may not have been the best match in the company history is just whether you like the hour Broadway or you like this one better. Danielson and Page 2, um, great in-ring match. They dropped the ball on some outside-of-the-ring stuff because of small details and not being able to focus and make little things important. But what an incredible fucking match again. I hope that Tony Khan gives Brian Danielson a yacht for, for next Christmas or something. He has made this show, anytime that Danielson's on it, you got to see what's going to happen. 
I can't say that about a lot of other people. Maybe two or three. The match, the rematch from the hour Broadway, they announced, and we talked about this in clumsy form, I believe it was last week or week before, where there's going to be judges. Three judges, right? And we talked about this. Did they give something away when Paige said, sure, get some old guys a payoff? And he was very heelish. And you thought, well, nobody mentioned any names of judges, so why would he automatically assume it's going to be old guys and, and talk about them that way? But since Brian Danielson had come up with the idea, he's the one that imparted it, not the promotion itself or the babyface, but the ch- the champion, but the challenger in this. He's the one that announced the judges, so one would have thought that this was some kind of surreptitious, under-the-table plot by Brian Danielson to sucker the babyface champion into agreeing to something. So many questions, right? Is Patty Mullen going to be available? All these questions we had. They get in the ring, and old Justin Roberts, the dapper yapper, Announces in the judges at ringside, Mark Henry, Big Show, and Jerry Lynn. Well, now we found out where Big Show's been. He's been studying up on his judge's license for six months since we've seen him on anything. And Mark Henry, we see him for 30 seconds every Friday night when he says, it's time for our main event. And Jerry Lynn, I love Jerry Lynn. And Jerry Lynn was a phenomenal wrestler. But is Jerry Lynn a household word to today's modern generation that that they didn't even feel the need to explain ahead of time the the import of these judges to the wrestling business, the excrement and commentary? Well, they've all been world champions. Yeah, Jerry was he was the he was the Ring of Honor champion at one point. Um, Big Show's held the WWF title. Is Mark Henry the champion? At one point, I believe. At he one was. point, at one point, he was okay. But they didn't say so. If as, if people didn't watch Ring of Honor in two thousand eight, they go, wait a minute, Jerry Lynn was he a world champion? That just they expect everybody is in Bill Watts's words, gentlemen. I know you're all stars, and all the fans already know everything. But tell them. Here's the thing. There was no controversy. How were these judges picked? Who picked them? Did w- w- There wasn't even an explanation that each competitor got a chance to pick one and Tony Khan picked the third because there was no controversy. Brian Danielson didn't pick someone that would be obviously and egregiously uh, biased toward him or against Adam Page because of interaction that they had had, a heel. Adam Page then didn't come back and and get even with Brian Danielson by picking a baby face that you knew was going to be on his side no matter what. <clears throat> Where then Tony Khan could come in and say, well, I'm going to pick an upright and outstanding man named so-and-so. And then you could see Danielson trying to suck up to so-and-so or swerve his head around a little bit. And you could see Page kind of like, wait a minute, what's going on here? They just had three judges at, at, not even at ringside. There was no judges table. They sat in the front row with the fans, which happened. I I remember the first Ali Frazier fight in the garden. All of the judges were sitting in the front row with the fans and Frank Sinatra. 
Do you see what I'm saying that this is just a throwaway stipulation? They went an hour Broadway. So somebody said, okay, we'll have a rematch, but this time if it goes the hour, there'll be judges. And they thought that was enough. They just left all those details laying. Who picked them? How? Why? What's the judge's motivations? Is there some kind of jeopardy that we can put Adam Page's title in, in the fans' minds, by thinking he's going to get jobbed out by the judges? It didn't happen. It's not going to happen. So we don't have to worry about the people. Oh, you fucked us. You fucked us with a fuck finish. Even though it's on free television, so you can't be fucked out of anything that's free. They didn't make anything out of these things. That's what I'm talking about. But they were certainly uh, able to spend enough time and effort on the world champion's graphics. And I never read these things, but on this one, it caught my eye. Do you know what Adam Page's graphic, the world champion, as he's coming to the ring, you know what it said? I don't, and I do know that in the past, they always tried to get cute with the graphics with Adam Page. I didn't look to see what it was this week. Yeah, their new world champion that still needs to be gotten over like a world champion, which is why Danielson's doing all this work. His graphic said, hasn't won a match this year. Matches on January 5th. See how cute that is? He hasn't wrestled this year. But instead of saying something positive about their world champion whose status at that level in people's minds is tenuous at best at this point because of the rotten booking that he's been saddled with, they can't say something positive. They hadn't won a match this year because it's cute. Because it's January 5th. See, you got it, right? You got it. <sighs> Fire the graphics guy. So, the bell rings. Thank God. Now it's in Danielson's hands. That's a safe place, apparently. Danielson bails and starts doing the jumping jacks. He's smug. He takes his time. He gets on the bicycle. Every so often, he will let Paige open up and hit a few things and then stop him back down again. But every time that he opens up, the next time, it's a little bit more. It's a little bit, he's building this thing. But Danielson stays in control. He's never off balance. He doesn't make a mistake. And and honestly, he's working with the world champion of this organization, and, and I'm only watching Brian Danielson, which is part of the problem. It's not... It's not Danielson's fault. It's that I still say what they've done with Paige is it, traditionally in all throughout history, a guy has had major singles matches with top guys and gotten wins over most of them, earned a title shot, wins the title shot and becomes the champion and then makes new challengers. But in this case, Adam Page never had major singles matches, never beat anybody of consequence, what, once or twice, was stuck in the tag team with Twinkle Toes, was affiliated with Jobbers, got the world title because they had decided when they started the company two years before that they were going to do it, and now the challenger has to make him. It's not his fault, and Page is hanging with it, but... If you watch this with no sound and no knowledge of anybody's position and just watch the match, Brian Danielson is the world champion, Paige is the challenger. Am I wrong? 
I think Brian Danielson has come out of these looking a lot better than Adam Page. And you know what? Sometimes a guy can do everything a guy can do to have a great match and get his opponent over, but the opponent, it doesn't just happen in one match. Brian Danielson's been doing this for 20-something years. Page's booking has been rotten, and his opponents have been substandard. And his big singles matches have been almost non-existent. And so now he's unprepared for this spot. He's trying and he's working hard and he's got a lot of talent. Anyway, at one point, Paige uh, Danielson went for a dive and Paige caught him standing on the floor and belly to belly him on the floor. But then immediately Paige runs at Danielson. Danielson dropped toe, holds him right into the stairs and Paige is busted open. And immediately again, Danielson on top of him. Punching the cut with straight punches. I wish they'd just let all the rest of their wrestlers watch their TV show to see how it's done. We wouldn't have to say the same thing every week about all these fucking fake windmill punches to the vicinity of somebody's head, maybe. So that was the break spot. They go to the break, they come back, Danielson is headbutting. Page into a bloody mess, making him fight from underneath, again punching straight to the cut. It looks like a fight. These are the things that you would probably do. At one point, Page came out, hit a surprise Death Valley driver as a counter to something, and Excrement was plugging the ticket sales, and they hit that big move, and the place blew up, and Excrement still finished the ticket plug. <laughs> and JR made fun of him for it. You got to sell them tickets. And then Page starts opening up with bigger stuff, but Danielson has start kicking him and chopping him senseless. And then the vertical suplex spot. And I will mention this specifically with what happened later on in the program. They did the deal where Page tried to suplex, vertical suplex Danielson over the top rope, but Danielson held on and both went over the top. And I, I think I first saw Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid do that. And goddamn, it looks scary and dangerous, and it is, and it looks cool at the same time, and it is. And since that Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid, I've seen top guys do it in main event matches down through the years, but you know, it's a dangerous thing, and most of the time you wouldn't take a bump like that unless it was a big main event match. Then the indies came along and everything, and then you see a lot of people do it with varying degrees of success. I think this is the first time I've seen it where they both landed on their feet and continued the spot where Page tried again to suplex him, but Danielson dropped behind and shoved him into the post. And that was a great spot. And both guys were right there. And so I'm I'm afraid that other people are going to try that because it was so cool. And the problem's going to be that one of those people is not Brian Danielson and the other one's not Adam Page. Can you imagine if Bachasaurus had been involved in this transaction, what would have occurred? So a lot of times I complain about how dangerous these things are, but these guys did this perfectly. I'm not even going to pick it apart except to say that from the time that they left the ground in the ring, they both knew where they were going and they conducted themselves to get there admirably. I don't suggest anybody else besides these two guys do that for a daily habit. 
the people got the This Is Awesome chance going. AEW fans can get into and understand and appreciate a real wrestling match when they get a chance to see it. It's not like they don't want this shit. Um, it, it, then Paige pulled Danielson into the post like Danielson had done to him in the last match and started headbutting him. And then Danielson starts bleeding and Paige is doing jumping jacks while he's bleeding. And now they go to the break. Great break spot. I'm into this. They come back, they're fighting on the buckle and Danielson is bleeding good. And Paige hit that fall away sack of shit slam off the top rope and backflipped along with it and got a two count. That was a hell of a fucking deal. Paige goes for the buckshot, but Danielson collapses. He's lost blood. Page goes to pick him up. Danielson small packages him, gets a two count, then goes into the LaBelle lock. And the people are going nuts. Page escapes. Danielson goes to the floor. Page hits that moonsault off the top, but then misses a buckshot. Danielson hits his knee. Two count. People bought that one. And then the headbutts on their knees, and honestly, too many headbutts, especially for a guy that's had concussion issues, even if he's not. Even if it's a working headbutt, at some point, people are going to go, you know, he's had concussion issues, so those can't be real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway. They, they make me uncomfortable, too. Yeah. But it looked like a fight. And the one that Danielson hit a great gotch pile driver, immediately covered and page kicked out. I would have loved to have milked that cover because it just, you know, again, how much, how far can you go? But Danielson, he's stomping Paige's face in with the ha holding the hands, doing the stomp. And then suddenly, boom, Paige hits a surprise power bomb. Danielson tried to trap him in the triangle, but Paige got out and hit the buckshot lariat and one, two, three, pinned him. Wow. I said I'd, I hate to beat Danielson this early. But uh, honestly, the way Danielson's performing, he got over even more here. And Paige has to beat somebody to get over. It would have been great if he'd have done it a bunch of times before he was world champion, but now they're working with what they got. So it was a great match, and it was the right result. Again, they've just... it. it I think if, if probably if somebody like Kippelman or Jay Sharknado was to go back a year, year and a half, I'm sure I probably said at some point, and they could confirm, it's not going to be fair to Paige if they've got all these plans for him. If they want to make him a world champion, he needs big wins against veterans. He needs more experience. He doesn't need to be in football field fuckery. He doesn't need to be in a tag team with Twinkle Toes where he's not going to learn anything because Twinkle Toes doesn't know anything. It's not going to be fair to this guy. He's not going to be ready to be the champion. He's got all the talent. What's happened, Brian? Has the prophecy come true? Look, these matches have been great. I personally like the one-hour match a little better than this one, but this match was great. And you know, the only big problem I'll say is when you start the show like this, it's really hard for the rest of the show to keep up this pace. But this was phenomenal. However, I don't feel Adam Page is world champion. Whatever it is. Intercontinental champion with a funny graphic? Yeah, I can go for that. Doesn't feel like a world champion to me. And the question also becomes after Danielson, what are they going to really do to establish him as that world champion if that is the role he's going to have for a while? 
I want to see more Danielson. Man, I, I can watch him wrestle anyone. He's one of those guys, you watch him in the ring, you can't take your eyes off what he's doing. Yeah. Because he's so in the fucking game. Um, I shouldn't use that. Paul Levesque's probably going to be upset. And he's been Cole? upset enough. Yeah, we don't want to in- engage him in any more cardiac events. Cole could have been a good learning experience for Paige if they hadn't negated any value that he might have in a fan's eyes over the last six weeks. But I, I, again, yeah, I'm wondering who's next for Paige after this that can compare to this. But anyway, they done it again. They did it again. Great match. Where's my, I can't find my, I got too many notes over my applause machine. And they followed this up. What was this? The first 30, 35 minutes of the show. They followed it up with MJF versus, by the way, Captain Sean Dean is the illegitimate brother-in-law of Captain Ed George, apparently. What? Just because he's a captain? Well, you know, these captains, they like to stick together. It was Captain Bly, Captain Queeg. They're all in a club. Captain Ivan, Captain Lenny. <laughs> There's been a lot of Captain captains. Lou. But anyway, MJF is going to wrestle, you know, Tits McGee. And you know what's going to happen. But suddenly before the match even starts, Punk runs down. No music. Uh, so, and Which was definitely the right thing to do because that, Again, if he's coming up with this punk in his mind as he sees it, I doubt he'd have time to go over and tell the music guy, oh, play my music. Anyway, MJF bails to the floor. Punk stands there for a minute and then turns around and hits the go to sleep on old Captain Sean Dean. And MJF is disqualified. Perfect. That's an old as the hills fucking wrestling angle that the goddamn... Babyface causes the heel to get beat or to lose in some fashion. If they had more actual disqualifications and actual rules so the people would recognize them instantly, like the fans did in the old days, then it, you know, it would have registered quicker. But once the announcement, the people got it. And that's basically punks. Then they had a long promo battle MJF in the entrance way and punk in the ring. And Punk's thing is, this is what's going to happen every time until you get in the ring with me, you little bitch. And then they knock each other back and forth, drumming up interest in them having a match. And, you know, MJF says, unlike you, Roddy Piper was talented enough to main event WrestleMania. And if I don't get proper respect here, I may be main eventing two or whatever the fuck. And then Punk said, yeah, you can main event night four of a buy one, get one free extravaganza. And again, they're not referencing putting over another company as much as they are taking inside digs at each other like guys in the business would saying shit like that to each other. Um, And then so then finally MJF says, well, you want the goddamn match? Well, next week it's CM Punk versus Wardlow. Oh, boy, here we go. And Punk accepts, of course, because eventually MJF is going to run out of people to hide behind and he's going to put him to sleep. But next week, I can't wait to see what Punk does with Wardlow. This will be another different style match. Punk's matches have have been different styles, even if they did dilute the level of his opposition here several weeks ago. And they're milking Punk getting to MJF. And why... Why do it next week? Why give them what they want? 
when it, this is is interesting. And again, 45 minutes into this show, you've had one of the best matches they've ever had and two guys that can promo like that, and it makes the program seem major league and much more exciting and much more interesting than anything the WWE does. And I wrote right here, I guarantee you that they're going to ruin this by the end of the show. And that prophecy came true. What did you think about Punk and Maxwell? I really liked it. And to your overall point, and this has happened a few times lately, the first 45 minutes of this show were a great wrestling show. Nothing insulted me. Good action. Good promos. Good. I mean, it was a great show up to this point. And nothing else in the remainder of the show really referenced anything from this portion of the show or went back to it. We never heard more from Danielson or Punk or MJF. Take a peek in the in the back for 30 seconds of both the guys in the world title match getting sewn up or patched up. It's just the show moves on and the universe of AEW moves on. This was good. Everything they've done with MJF and Punk has been good. Some of it's been exceptionally good. They're getting from... The beginning to whenever we get to this match, and it hasn't been boring, they keep mixing things up. Even when they use classic wrestling stuff, they put a little bit of a modern edge on it to keep it fresh. This has been great stuff. Whoever's booking fucking Punk and MJF should book the rest of the fucking show. I mean, what? It's like two different universes. Why is this good? And then everything else happens. Like, one thing is serious and well thought out. And Danielson, too. I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from everything with Danielson lately. But what happens? The show just goes right off a cliff. And it happened again, and big time this week. Well, speaking of moving on, I felt like it after this, but there was more. And by the way, while while I'm talking here, uh, do some research, because all I got was the, the main point was that the ratings, the first show on TBS for the new year, they made a big deal back on TBS for the first time in 20-whatever years. They did over a million people. So their audience followed from TNT to TBS on the same night, same time, just different network. And obviously there was all kinds of interest in the Paige Danielson rematch. So they got a million people. But now my question to you is, can you find any breakdowns to show after the first 45 minutes of the program, did many of those people begin leaving in droves? That's what I'd like to know. I'll see what I can find out. Because the first thing I saw next would make me leave in a drove. Um, here comes Chris Jericho and the world's largest karaoke sing-along. Did you notice that Jericho has changed his fashion sense and is now coloring his hair with Quaker State 10W40? Did I notice? Did I notice? The whole world noticed. Chris Jericho, who looks completely ridiculous, who looks nothing like a wrestler you may remember named Chris Jericho, he comes out there, all of a sudden his hair, which has looked ridiculous for years, people have been questioning, did he get a weave? We know he's an insecure guy. Did he cover up bald spots with a weave? Now all of a sudden, look, lots of guys get- Has it always been that color? No, lots of guys get dye jobs. The great Keith Hernandez- Got a dye job. Dyed his mustache, too. It looked a little more natural. All of a sudden, he comes out there. It looks like he didn't know how to apply the dye. Looks like it wasn't even dye. Remember rubber cement? It looks like he took rubber cement and I like, painted it into the front of his it hair. It was painted hair. The <laughs> hair was painted. But that's what, didn't he used to, even recently, he was blonde, right? It wasn't just brown, <laughs> yes. like cow shit brown. No, he was blonde. 
for, and, for 30 got, years. He was brown hair. <laughs> And down in a with an Eddie Munster peak in down pointing down to his forehead in the front, and it's all it it, it looked like he was on the verge of Giuliani-ing and dripping him. But anyway, so he comes out, and he does the interview, and he starts screaming the words "dipshit" and "jerk off" like Eric Cartman with Tourette's syndrome, which I believe it or not had written that. And moments later, here comes 2.0. And Jericho makes a South Park joke. So at least we're we're on the same wavelength here. I'd like to remind everybody that Jericho is in the ring. 2.0 comes down and interrupts. They're doing a promo back and forth. No FTR on this program, even though they work in the company. No Briscoe brothers at all. But we're watching 2.0. Because... Jericho's got to have some flunkies to beat because he doesn't feel like he's over enough. So as he gets, tries to get the people to start chanting squarehead and pinhead at the members of 2.0, and this was rotten and doing nothing for anybody, then Jericho gets a bat from under the ring and says he's just going to beat them all up. But Garcia attacks from behind, old Danny. And they get momentary steam on Jericho. And here comes Kingston and Santana and Ortiz and make a save. And Friday night, it's a six-man tag with no disqualification. No DQ. Lazy booking. Here are FTR and the Briscoe brothers, the two best tag teams for both in-ring performance and draw money today shooting their own promos and angles on Twitter. And we are being fed angles with 2.0 and Daniel Garcia so that the baby faces can get a win in a six-man tag match on their Friday night show that's meaningless and also no DQ. Here's another thing that Gabe Sapolsky or anybody that's been in the wrestling business for 15 to 18 minutes could help you with, Tony. You don't have to do an angle for every match you write down. And you never have, and nobody else ever has, because it's not done. And that's the way that you make all of your angles mean nothing, which is what you've done. So he did an angle with the job guys for a show two days away, six-man tag, no DQ. It might have drawn some money with main event stars and a two-month build. I don't know. Oh, I don't think 2.0 are the real problem here. I'll give them credit. They have personality and... What? No, they, they, it's not their fault. Yeah, no, but Jericho, I'm sorry. This was right off Monday Night Raw. He is so bad right now as this pandering baby face. And it's lame. You know Square why he's head, cursing. Pinhead. Yeah, oh yeah, Terrence and Phillip jokes. Oh my God, that would have gone over yes. great in 2002. He's doing such bad material. He looks like garbage. He looks ridiculous. And the material sucks. And he's just trying to latch on to Eddie Kingston. That's what this all is about. This is not good. Even AEW's biggest fans at this point can realize, even if they love singing that stupid song. And by the way, his vocals suck. Go listen to that song. Even if they like that stupid song, everyone admits right now, everyone has to admit or they're just blind. Chris Jericho is a big negative to that show. And everything he has done for the last two years has been terrible. 
And the only good thing I'll say is that MJF feud, we were all worried about how MJF would come out of that after one year. He escaped. He escaped. Jericho didn't. And I think there's some justice in that. And remember for the first, what was it, 12 weeks they were on the air, we said Chris Jericho is loving this. He's the only big fish in a very small pond. He's the only star. He's, it's the Chris Jericho show. He's having a ball. He's going to lead this thing by the nose. And he got worse and worse. They didn't get better and better. They did get better. And now it's it's like, my God, it, other people have supplanted him, and we can't stop seeing him. Anyway, the next Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly in a locker room, an actual locker room, by the way, at least, instead of a closet with weird purple porn lighting or whatever they usually do. They're just in a locker room in a a athletic arena. Imagine that. And Adam Cole speaks well. And then he's cutting a promo on Jake Atlas for Friday night on rampage. And I've again, thank you for coming. Jake Atlas. He was in and out. Did you hear about this? Do you read about this? I he's already, he's already hurt. It was supposed to be on rampage tonight as we are recording. Correct. Yeah, well, it will be because they recorded it and he got hurt. He's, I'm not going to fucking eviscerate poor old Jake Atlas. I've never met Jake Atlas. We saw Jake Atlas on NXT and I gave my opinion then and I'll recap it. Small, bland, boring, not a lot of personality does all the moves just like everybody else. And it, as a matter of fact, it tickled me because I remember this was, was this six months or a year ago or whenever it was, when we first saw Austin theories on the show and Jake Atlas is on the same show and old uncle Dave, when he, back when he was a close observer of things, he wrote, well, one of the great young talents in wrestling was on NXT. And I'm saying, well, he saw Austin theory at Jake Atlas. I'm sorry, and I'm sorry this guy's hurt, and I'm not wishing him ill, but no. A bland, boring guy with not a lot of personality and a nice smile, not much size, doing movies and flippies and thingies. They got a hundred of those. So they let him go over there. Did I mention that there's Mark and Jay Briscoe are living on a chicken farm in Delaware? It could could main event a fucking pay-per-view if you had somebody smart put something together for a couple months and they signed Jake Atlas, who had actually retired from wrestling after they um, another one. These retirements, if Terry Funk has nothing to worry about now, these guys are going to retire more times than Terry did by the time they've been in the business five years. Atlas got cut from NXT and he decided to step away from the business and reevaluate things, comes back, gets signed, has one match against Adam Cole of all people and gets hurt. And now he's out for however, for whatever. So I'm not happy the guy got hurt. I don't think there's much in the guy. And again, I remind you, (laughs) there's the Briscoe brothers on a chicken farm Jake Atlas gets signed. Is Miro hurt? He must be. Is Jay Lethal hurt? No, except by bad booking. No, Jay Lethal is wrestling apparently on YouTube. 
against job guys. Oh, I didn't know that. He's working the YouTube show. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. He he's just not on television, so that we can see 2.0 and Botchasaurus more often because we haven't seen them nearly enough. And and you have, now that you mentioned Jay Lethal, good God, a guy who dominated the Ring of Honor Championship, who's had quality matches against innumerable people over the last 10 years and he comes in a company loses his first match on tv that's the last match he's had on tv and he should be teaching half of the guys that they're featuring on this program it, it don't even get me started next match real quick wardlow against antonio jabroni power bombs and done <clears throat> all right your favorite, the TBS Women's Championship final tournament, final, whatever the fuck, Jane Cargill and Ruby Soho. And I have watched a lot of wrestling lately, and I started out saying, I can't do this. I just can't sit through, because I knew it was going to be long, and it was. And so I put on the fast-forward, on-screen fast-forward. I stopped in a couple places. Jane Cargill stomps like an ostrich. But they've had good matches with her. Three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. In and out, something that they could practice and lay out. This was way too long. Ruby Soho is much better than what it looked here. But the problem was Jane needed a road atlas, a compass, and a GPS by the end of the match to figure out where she was located at. At one point, Ruby just climbed to the top rope to do something. And had to just look and get back down because Jane was on the other side of the ring staggering around. It wasn't a good match and Jane won because they had decided that Jane should win when they were impressed by what she looks like before she had ever had a fucking match. And now that she is way, way, way still not ready to be going 15 minutes or whatever this was on national television with anybody, man, woman, or child... It You know, now she's the TBS, the hose champion, according to the logo on the belt. Remember, we've talked about that. That's what everybody sees, HOS. What would you think of this? I didn't pay close attention, and it's probably for the best, or I'd be going on for 20 more minutes. I think it went on way too long. I think it exposed that Jade isn't ready. You know, we look, to be fair, we just went off about Big Swole. Beyond the issues that were raised, the one issue everyone agreed with was she wasn't ready for national TV. She wasn't good as a professional wrestler. Jade has a great look. And maybe I'm wrong, but I look at Jade and I say, you know what? This is someone taking this really seriously and trying hard. She is. I won't even take that away from her. But she needs more time. They rushed her to get this title. I know she's been there for like a year. How many matches has she had? Like eight matches, 10 matches? She's working on the YouTube show. How long have those matches been going? And who are the people that she's working with? Their own families don't recognize the people on the YouTube shows that are doing the jobs because it's all nightmare factory people. They have a budget. And if they had any pride in their product, instead of using wrestling school students, they would import, bring in, contact, book, at least experienced independent guys to come in that look like something and do jobs and rotate those people so that you don't get tired of them and 
pigeonhole them as jobbers. If one catches on, you can do something with them. Instead of having an endless parade of wrestling school students put over people who honestly still need to be in wrestling school. It, it Have pride in your product. Spend some money there. Cut five people that are never going to do a goddamn positive thing for your program and use that money to bring in fucking five quality jobbers per week. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and now they have another belt and it's on someone who can't lead a match and who can't work a long match. I'm not saying Jade can't be a long-term project or even a short-term yes. project over a few years, but when you have people there, and I'm not going to once again go, oh, Serena Deeb, oh, Thunder Rosa, but there are people there that can go out there as a champion and lead a match, work a match, make it believable, work with someone like Jade in real time to get her to this point. But to me... You know what? If Ruby so... I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, to me, the result was kind of predetermined especially when they started showing her family at ringside which is an interesting move for a heel yeah yeah this this bitch i'm that bitch and i've got a crooked lawyer as my manager but here's my adorable toddler at ringside you fuck what a fucking mess yeah this i don't know this whole segment i think could have been done a whole lot better and i i personally wouldn't have belted jane that's a better way to say that yeah i wouldn't have put a belt on jane right to now the moon, jane now i'm calling her jane um i'm not against her getting in the future but there was nothing i saw in this match other than the way she looks that says this person should be a champion there jane you're playing a game of hide and go seek Ruby Soho should have been the first champion. Ruby Soho should have derailed Jane Cargill and been the only blemish on her undefeated record and got this belt and, and defended it a couple, because at least Ruby has been, she trained in OVW for a while. She's been to the WWE. She's got experience. She's somewhat of a veteran. She's not Mildred Burke, but she's not as green as most of the female talent they got, and then Jane could have fucked her out of the belt and got some heat. As it was, as I said, here's this this bitch, self-proclaimed bitch that's bigger than all the other girls, a natural bully that has a crooked lawyer for a, a manager, even if he's not in any way believable, and she wins the belt pretty much fair and square, and then... They show her toddler child at ringside. So she didn't get any heat. Ruby just got beat. Thanks for coming, Ruby. You were hot for about three weeks. I almost got song lyrics there. Um, And nobody, and it was a bad match. So nobody prospered here. And uh, I'm, I'm like you. If Jane has all the tools and looks striking visually and et cetera, et cetera. And if you let her actually get some practice without the eyes of the world on her for a while, you might have something. But anyway, speaking of, of, of the eyes of the world were upon the next match, Brian Pillman Jr. against Malachi Black. And I swear to God, we got 20 minutes of that rotten girls match. And this thing was quicker than a hiccup. And they could have done something with Brian off the dark side of the ring show and the natural groundswell he had. We've gone over that. Not going to relitigate that here. But this was 
After the first spot, it was better than the match with Griff Garrison and Malachi Black because they locked up, struggled, and did a nice wrestling spot. And then Pillman hits dropkick, and then the dropkick through the ropes to the floor. And I'm thinking, okay, he comes out serious. He's trying to apply himself to this fucking angle they've got him in. And he's got fire. And after a, less than a minute from the opening bell, they go to the break. So as I said, we got to see every brutal minute of that girls match with the stench of grisly death on it. But Brian Pillman Jr.'s kicking ass. We're going to go to the break. When they come back, they're trading one, two. Malachi gets a bit of heat. Julia Hart was at ringside in her cheerleaders outfit and a black eye patch. <laughs> that was the most ridiculous visual. There's no visible mark on her beautiful face and this eye patch is brand new you can tell they just took it out of the fucking package and put it on her face and she's wearing a cheerleader's outfit and just the visual alone if she was blinded by this guy's caustic colored mist that he blew in her face then would she be out there dressed in her cheerleader's outfit with a spotless eye patch on or would we have seen her in a video at an appointment at an ophthalmologist office or a doctor's office and she wouldn't be wearing makeup because she's worried about losing the sight in her eye and she's being attended to by a medical professional and she's not at ringside with the same guy that fucking did it to begin with while her big brother goes to avenge her honor. That might have been something. But she's standing there, and it, this was so quick, just like there was no shine at the beginning, there was brief heat. Brian makes a comeback, and it was a blasé comeback that nobody cared about. They'd seen Danielson and Page, and this match hadn't even got started yet, and nobody bought his false finish because it was too quick. And then the finish, they gave him a banana peel to slip on, literally. He purposely missed a springboard, and Black hits him with a kick, one, two, three. Did yeah. he purposely miss it? Because I mean, yes, it was yes. He no, he yes. Okay. Because well, they made it look good. Because I wasn't sure. Let's put it that there's always a chance that anything could have happened, but I've never seen anybody miss so and take such a beautiful bump <laughs> and and not hurt themselves and not be surprised by it. But again, so now. And remember, I've, I've, another complaint I've had with Malachi Black is I liked his look and his spookiness and even his match, but invariably they do something with the entertainment value of this to make me go, what the fuck? And he, the more he does it, the less over he is with me. He beats the baby face and in fairly quick and succinct fashion. Didn't do much for Brian Pillman, but at least he got a victory. And then he... Leaves the ring, but then Malachi Black turns back. Is like, I haven't finished. And he goes back in the ring, and he's going to menace the baby faces. But suddenly, here come the Lucha Brothers and Alex running down the ramp. As they're coming down the ramp, the lights go out. And when the lights come back on, the Lucha Brothers and Alex are in the ring where Malachi Black was, and Malachi Black is down on the ramp where they were. They just switched places. And, and when the lights came back on and everybody saw that, 
It was a popcorn fart. There was no reaction. It was like, what? Because nothing happened. It, I'm sure somebody thought, well, that'll be cool. When they went over it in their minds, you know, ahead of the show. Yeah, when the lights come back on, you'll be where I was and I'll be where you were. They forgot that there was still nothing fucking going on. Just people standing there. It was stupid. And now we know the Lucha Brothers are in on it because they had to pass. You know what? Malachi is fun to watch sometimes in his matches. His kicks look great. I'm not into this whole magical powers, lights go out. Why does this one guy have control over the lights? <laughs> so the lights keep going out and then he moves. Are we supposed to assume the light goes out and he just runs as fast as he can? Well, wait spot? a minute now. According to the main event on this program, it may not only be Malachi that has the location of the light switch. That's true. Good point. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be explained. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, skipping real briefly over this week's fake girl fight. In the backstage area with Tony Schiavone holding a microphone and then screaming, oh my God, was Ruby Soho, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Reba, and Riho got in a fake girl fight in the back. There's a, There was only one this week. Usually there's at least one, sometimes two. This was just fucking brutal to watch because um, it was phony as a football bat. Oh, come and on. Did, there's nothing what? funnier than Rio making the save with her little well, outfit I'm, on, her little dress. Yes, <laughs> the funniest thing. She comes in <laughs> with frilly socks and a, a white lace frilly skirt. And was she wearing like a sweater? Yes. Because it was cold in there, and she's only 90 pounds, so she's got no blood circulation. And one of the referees trying to separate the girls that were fighting waist locked her and without even knowing he did it picked her right up off the ground it's like picking up helium <laughs> she he couldn't even tell it her and she's just, her feet are going wee 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 because she can't get back in the fight because he really pulled her apart he doesn't even know she's off the ground it would just <sighs> even with twinkle toes not around do you think he's slinking in the tv tapings so that he can still play with his japanese girlfriend action figures and 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 book his his girls division that he's done such a wonderful job with that even Big Swole knew it was fucked up. I don't know. Anyway, I thought we'd get rid of his influence, but no, there was and Riho. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's coming up on the weekend. And then we went to the main event. And I gotta be honest. Under normal circumstances, I would have made a perfunctory comment about this, and I would have skipped it because it was for the tag team title, Lucha Brothers against Jungle Boy and Dino Douche. And you know what that's going to be ahead of time, and I wasn't going to watch it, but I heard what happened, and then I saw the clip, and I said, well, I've got to see how the fuck they got to this point. So I sat through this thing. And I wrote at the start, obviously, this is going to be an indie-style trampoline match with the dinosaur doing shit that he doesn't know how to do. And again, seriously, we could be watching the Briscoes have a program with FTR leading to multiple rematches. But instead, again, two years later, we're still looking at the kids playing with their friends on the trampoline with the Jungle Boy and the Lucha Brothers and the Dino Douche. 
At one point, they did a dance routine where the partners and opponents alike all held hands. Did you see that one? I did. They all held hands, four of them, across the ring and aided each other in jumping up onto the top rope and then flipping. And then the opponents holding hands with each other flipped their opposing partners. And at that point, JR made a remark about, well, we're still waiting to see a flow going in this match because all they were trying to do was, it was like watching the cheerleading tryouts where they all go hip, hip and set up the human pyramid and, you know, lift everybody up and give them a hand up onto the vault to do the mount to, this was the worst contrived, bullshit, sloppiest, most nonsensical tag team match that I think they may have ever aired. Because at least, say what you want about the Hardly Boys, and I always do, they're not as bad as this fucking lizard. It's the most awkward, left-footed, ham-handed, hair-lipped motherfucker. Jungle Boy's window of being a star babyface closes a little more every day that he's stuck with this partner in these kind of matches and not able to work with somebody who can teach him. See Paige Danielson. But Jungle Boy's not getting Danielson. And he's been in these matches for a long time, and I don't know whether it may be a lost cause at this point. He can do the trampoline stuff, but boy, there was potential there that may be lost. Is there any more phony-looking professional wrestler than Dino Douche? Anything he goes into or tries to set up is a half-step off. He went to the John Laurinaitis School of Smoothness. He, he, matter of fact, he makes Johnny Ace look like Ricky Steamboat, in my opinion. Well, even on the fast forward to speed search, this sucked. Uh, then the Lucha Brothers, at one point, go to give Jungle Boy their finish, and the lights go out. And the people, ooh! And then the lights came back on. And they had just let Jungle Boy go, and he's laying there on the on the mat. And the Lucha Brothers are just standing looking, and nothing happened. And nobody came out, and nothing was explained. And JR said, and I quote, Lights have been out way too much tonight for my liking. Could, was that an accident? Did somebody step on the power strip? Who's airing this show? Go fight live? Never explained. Then they did horrible, awkward, phony spots on the apron and the floor with dives. Then they gave Jungle Boy their double foot stomp package pile driver tag team finish, and he kicked out at two. Which, it's a bullshit move anyway, but it's a bullshit to kick out of it then. So Alex pulls the tab a table up to ringside, not the announce desk, but a table. It was sitting there covered with a black tablecloth, thank goodness. But Christian come, runs him off. So Dino Douche does the spot where he's on the apron and they're kicking him and hitting him and he's teasing in a very contrived way, falling onto the table because that's what everybody wants to see out of wrestling is people break furniture. And then Felix runs and jumps over the top rope and is going to land on the apron to do something to Dino, but Dino catches him around the neck with the goozle. And now he picks Felix up and choke slams him off the apron through the table and goes with him. 
Apparently, Felix's arm is not broken. This would be the modern medical miracle of the age. Possibly he prayed to one of those patron saints because when none of these guys studied physics in school, I'm sure what they thought was going to happen was that Dino is going to choke slam Felix and Felix is going to go up and take his own bump through the table, flat of his back, right through the middle of it. And if Dino Douche had been smart enough to stay on the apron, that's probably what would have happened. But since Dino probably had the great idea, well, I'll just jump off the apron too and I'll land on my feet next to the table. So when you go through the table, it'll look like I really just drove you right through it. That's what it looked like they were going for. But what happened was, besides the fact that the apron is not very wide, when guys choke slam each other in the ring, you've seen The Undertaker do it, Kane do it, all the big guys do the choke slam, grab the goozle, and here you go. You grab the guy by the neck with your right arm, because most everybody's right handed, and you get under his right arm when you pick the guy up, right? You've, you can see this in your eyes, Brian, in your mind's eye. You get under, boost the guy under his right arm to pick him up. You're not just taking him by the neck. And then he kicks his feet out directly under your right arm. And you bend over forwards and he's to the side of you and you follow him down with choke slam motion. Did I describe that fairly accurately so everybody can see it? I think so. Very descriptive. Okay, when you're standing on the apron of the ring... How can the guy be to the right of you when the apron's only a foot wide, 18 inches? And how can you get all the way under the guy's right arm to help boost him up, which is also what helps hold him and turn him? Because you're the rock, you're the anchor there. He's the one that's going upwards and then kicking his feet out. When Dino Douche decided to do the brilliant thing of jumping off the apron with him, even though he wasn't forcing the guy down onto the table with all of his strength, he still had a hold of him. And because now you've got two bodies in motion, the guy that jumped straight up in the air to come straight flat down of his back on the table is connected to the guy that's jumping to his right slightly to jump off of the apron. And as a result, him having his hand on Felix's neck pushed Felix too far out over the table and he was going to go off the left edge of the table. He was going to overshoot it a bit and it looked like he realized that and threw his left arm back like, I don't know where I'm going. And when they landed and went through the table, the table broke and Felix's left arm got caught. He, his hand hit the ground and caught his arm, and it bent at the elbow in a manner other than which nature intended. And basically, it was one of those, what, those Joe Theismann leg break-looking things where his arm bent completely backward the goddamn wrong way. Sid. Sid, there you go. Except apparently the luck of fools... There were no broken bones. They say now it was a badly dislocated elbow. Well, he may have been better off breaking a bone because to dislocate an elbow that bad would have to mean that you have 
torn every tendon and ligament in the in the whole contraption, and who knows what you have to do to fix that or how long it's going to take. But anyway, and then the goddamn thing was when you watch it back, the lizard is selling this bump worse than than the fucking guy with his arm in half. Because Felix is laying there pointing off camera, pointing to his arm at the doctor's off camera going, I'm fucked. But Dino, when he went down, the table broke and turned over sideways because Felix landed on the far edge of the table and turned it sideways. And Dino douche went right down on the edge of the table, caught him in the ribs, and he turned over and started selling his fucking ribs. I hope it broke them all. Fucking idiot. Um, But anyway... That's what happened. He jumped off. It pushed him out just slightly. The guy couldn't take his own bump straight down. He was off direction, threw his arm back, and there you go. But here again, the bigger issue here is they did this for a spot that wasn't even going to be remembered tomorrow. It's not like mankind and Undertaker. And the hip toss off the top of the cell that we're still thinking about 25 years later because it was so farther and above and beyond what you normally see and it was so memorable with two of the biggest stars in the business. This was a fucking idiot in a dinosaur mask and another guy in a fucking lucha mask in a rotten tag team match doing shit that everybody on this program, except for Punk and Danielson and the guys who know what they're doing, everybody on this program does in every match on a daily basis. How many people have gone through tables? How many dives? How many flips? How many spears through fucking walls? Whatever the fuck. Nobody was... It wasn't the finish. It was supposed to lead to the finish. They didn't get the finish done they were going to do because one of the perpetrators of people involved was out there on the floor with a goddamn arm up their ass. It was just a spot that nobody was going to remember just to break furniture because these guys are fucking marks. Maybe not the Lucha brothers being marks as much as Luchasaurus. The Lucha brothers just come from Mexico where none of this shit's supposed to mean anything and make any sense. And that's what they do. The other idiot is just a mark for himself. And th- who has ever uttered these words? Luchasaurus is a good wrestler. Who on this planet has ever said that sentence? I don't have an answer for you. So this guy could have, Felix's career could have been ended and his arm could have been snapped in half because this fucking goofy dinosaur wanted to do some kind of goddamn modified bullshit off the apron through a table that wasn't even the finish of the match, and nobody would have remembered the next day, except for the fact that he almost killed the guy and hospitalized him. Now they remember it. So congratulations, Dino Klutz. They're going to remember you. So now Penthouse and Jungle Boy got a finish. So they just called something, and Jungle Boy rolled him up. One, two, three. New champions, Jungle Boy and Bachasaurus are the new world tag team champions of AEW. Did I mention that FTR is carrying license plates around and the Briscoe brothers are on a chicken farm? But this goddamn two left-footed klutz and his poor undersized partner are now the world tag team champions after the absolute worst tag team title change I have ever seen in over 45 years of watching wrestling. 
Let's make it 50. This is 2022. 50 years. Worst title change ever. This is the worst tag team division of a big company in wrestling history. And all the teams, after the victory, came out to stand on the stage and stare like schlubs. And my God, not one star team. You had FTR out there but they haven't been made to appear like stars and the rest of the teams. I don't care if you goddamn covered them in fucking fairy dust. They wouldn't look like stars. It was the Hardy family office and the acclaimed and the fuck it. it this is the worst tag team division in history and the best team they've got. You never see. And the best team on the horizon that they could get. They're not even talking to apparently doing their own promos on Twitter with the other best team in the world. This was fucking brutal. This hurt everybody's feelings to watch. Your thoughts? Well, I'll just say to my earlier point, the entire show was brutal to watch after the MJF Punk angle. Didn't like the match. I agree with you. I hate this tag team division. FTR is there. It doesn't matter. You have a few good tag teams there. The division and Which the way it's ones? booked. Which ones? Call them out. Call out like the good right, tag teams? Right now, who is a good tag team that anybody would give a shit about in this company besides FTR because they're the best in-ring performers, even though they're booked like shit? I've liked what I've seen from 2.0 so far, but I won't use them as my example. I w I'm glad you um, die on that hill. Private Party, I would not consider a great tag team or a good tag team. The Butcher and the Blade, no. Uh, the Acclaimed have a lot of potential. Got a lot of potential, but we haven't greener than pepper trees. Yeah. But what have they done with them to put them in a main event position? Uh, the what are the best friends? No, <laughs> the Young Bucks. Everyone knows what I think of the Young Bucks. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Express. No, but at least they don't have Marco Stunt. That's a upgrade. They went from Marco Stunt to Christian Cage. All right, look, they have FTR and a bunch of tag teams. But yeah, the tag team division's awful. But going to the match. Didn't like it. I hated the show after the early parts, but I'm watching it. And when the injury happened, I thought I saw what I saw. Yeah. It looked like a cartoon, didn't it? Yeah. And sometimes when I see something, I'll, I'll grab that body parts. I'll like feel it. I go, oh my God. When they showed the replay, I made the mistake of watching. And I, I yelled so loud, I woke up Suzanne. And then I yelled a third time. <laughs> when they showed the replay again, I went, no! And I looked no! away. I wouldn't, I couldn't watch that. I know you say, and he says that it wasn't broken, but I've never, I mean, I never want to see an arm bend that way ever again. And I've never seen an arm bend that way before. And it was pretty disgusting to see. I wish they hadn't replayed it over and over again. And if this guy's actually going to be able to make a comeback anytime soon, that's remarkable. But I did not like this beyond beyond the injury, which was too grotesque for me to want to see ever again. I didn't like the match. The angle of all the wrestlers standing there watching these guys celebrate. Jericho's in his seats because standing up would require effort. <laughs> I'm not really feeling this. Uh, I hope they do something different with the tag team division at some point soon. But again... Just want to recap this also, and I do have the ratings you asked me to pull up. Well, hold on one second. I just want to make one more point, then we'll go to the ratings. Again, the gruesomeness of that injury, it couldn't have felt good, and the quality of the match that it had to happen in, because it, it, 
another old chestnut that I always learned when I first got in the business was if you're going to hurt yourself, at least make it an important match that everybody sees, right? Well, this was a garbage match that a few people may have seen, and it was a needless risk. There's risks everywhere. Anytime you get in the ring to, to have a wrestling match, there's a risk. And I've seen guys, I've mentioned it. I've, first time I saw a guy get his leg broken in the ring was in Louisville Gardens, 1975. Tommy Gilbert suplexed a guy named John Rogers, vertical suplex. He, old Rogers, I don't know what happened to him after that. He never became a major star, but he didn't really know how to take that vertical suplex. And he went over too far and got his leg bent under him when Tommy set him down and it broke his leg in the middle of the ring. And there's a, a clip going around Chick Donovan, vertical suplexed of a job guy on Atlanta TV back in, what, 1980. And the guy didn't know what he was doing, wasn't experienced, was just a local jobber, got his arm underneath him, and it broke his arm when he landed. This shit happens even on the most elementary of moves, but generally... Besides the freak accident, most of those cases can be chalked up to one of the people involved or both being inexperienced. And in this case, this was tempting fate for a ridiculously meaningless bump that, as I said, nobody was going to remember. And even though Felix is, if you like that style, he's he's very aerial and he's very acrobatic and agile and coordinated. But he's letting his fucking goof dinosaur do this to him. He should have known better. And that's what, there's already enough risk. You don't need to, to make it worse by doing shit that's either not necessary or you don't know how to do or both. And that's what we've seen most of these injuries take place on one or both of those circumstances were in play. Either one of the people didn't know how to do that shit or they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing to begin with. It was meaningless. And uh, that's, that's just my, I, you know, I'm just, I'm astonished. But when I see this and it's Tony Khan's place to say this to his employees, to his troops, to his team, what the fuck? Gear it back. You think these people are going to... These people set through the pudding gang matches. You think they're going to set the seats on fire if we don't break five tables? Gear it back. Let the top guys use the furniture. Much less often to make it mean something. And instill in your underneath talent roster, less is more and do the execution of 10, a degree of difficulty five instead of the other way around. But unfortunately, he's made a major mistake in that they do not recognize the talent in AEW that there is an underneath talent roster. They think everybody's equal and everybody gets to play. No, there's some extras, there's some walk-on parts, there's some supporting characters, and then there's your movie stars. And Tony Khan needs to tell all of the extras walk-ons and supporting players who the fuck they are and what the fuck their job is around there that's another thing that needs to be done but it won't be what were the ratings how bad did they matriculate toward the end of the program 
Well, let me go here. The ratings for AEW this week. AEW's overall ratings were 1,010,000 viewers overall for the entire program. Right. The first quarter, 1,100,000, excuse me, 1,101,000 viewers. A lot of ones. A lot of ones. The second quarter, 1,001,000 viewers. And those are both Paige and Danielson, by the way, obviously. Right. So a million people. The third quarter was 1,016,000 viewers. That was MJF and Punk. The fourth quarter was 1,003,000 viewers. And I believe this would have been the end of Punk and MJF, the Jericho promo, and then the Undisputed Era. You seem to be correct there. I'm flipping through, trying to follow you the first quarter of the nine o'clock hour did one million seventeen thousand viewers the second quarter of that hour or the sixth overall of the program and and wait a minute i was about to say that would be from the undisputed era through wardlow and into the start of the the women somewhere around there correct and the tbs title match continued into the next quarter which was also the Pillman Malachi Black match. That was 1,048,000 viewers. So people are just sticking around. This has been fairly flat. They like the, the start so much, they're thinking, well, it's going to get good again. The next quarter, which is the second to last, which would have been the end of the Pillman Black match, as well as the women's backstage brawl that you recapped before, that went to 939,000 viewers. Okay, people are starting to get a little antsy. As, as Ernie Ladd would say, the natives are getting restless. And the final quarter, which would have been the Tag Team Championship match, 954,000 viewers. So honestly, I'm surprised. They only lost, in that second hour, fifty to 150,000 of the people they started with. That ain't bad for this Drek. No, and it's a new channel, new network, even though it's the same, you know, family of channels. It's still a new channel. People have to reset their DVR. People have to find it. I wish there was something in the ratings where that then after the last quarter hour, then the people could leave comments like, what the fuck? We watched all the way to the end and that's all there was? Shit like this. So you'd know whether they were just watching out of habit or whether they really wanted to see the finish of this thing. Anyway, well, they got a million people again. They hot-shotted brand-new network and a world title rematch. And now we'll start heading back down to the to the standard level of the viewership until they hot-shot something else in three weeks. But speaking of programs, this weekend, Saturday night, is going to be the debut episode January the 8th of the Battle of the Belts specials, the first special, which they stole the title from Championship Wrestling from Florida and our, our good friend Joe Coff. But help me out with this, Brian, because apparently this was something that was done in the deal when they had when the all the hockey stuff happened and they found out they were gonna move dynamite from TNT to TBS to to make it up to the Fine folks at AEW, they said, well, we'll still give you specials, like the old Clash of Champions I heard them uh, draw the correlation to, the old periodic quarterly Clash of Champions specials. We'll give you those on 
TNT, even though we're moving you to TBS. And then hockey changed, and they decided to keep Rampage on TNT and move Dynamite to TBS. This is the way the the, the order of events, right? But they still were going to have the Battle of Belts specials. But how is this a special when, again, previously in the Turner Empire, you had the Saturday night 605 television program, and that was weekly. And then you they had a Sunday night program for an hour, and that was weekly. But the Clash of Champions specials, their version of the Battle of the Belts back in those days, that was the big two or two and a half hour program where it came from an arena instead of the studio. And you got main event matches, including world title matches like Flair and Sting and, and tag team title matches and big stars. And that's why they were quarterly specials to draw big ratings. Now they've got two hours in prime time on Wednesday night where they show the biggest main event matches that they can show for free. They've got an hour on Friday night where they've, they've turned that into the goddamn job show, like the best of world championship wrestling used to be on Sundays, whatever. But the battle of the belts special is going to be a one hour special on Saturday night, the worst night now of television for the week at eight o'clock. And the matches that they announced actually 10 o'clock it's eight o'clock on my fucking oh you know what you're right i'm looking yeah, at the, the other you're looking tweet. at rampage yeah, you're yeah. looking at friday night but this is a one hour show instead of the regular two hour show so it's it's shorter and the matches that they are advertising are Britt baker versus Riho for the women's title and sammy and cody in a rematch for the tv title not exactly flair sting level marquee matches for their first edit. So is that all they're going to have in an hour? Cause you know, old twinkle toes will have a cow and shit on himself. If Riho goes down to defeat in less than 20 minutes and Sammy and Cody are going to take some time. What else they got? But wouldn't it to, to kick off a brand new series of specials? Wouldn't that have been where you put Paige and Danielson maybe and let them have the whole hour and go most of it. And with the peripheral stuff, you've got your show and people would remember that forever. Now it's throwaway TV matches. Does anybody want to see Riho and Britt Baker again? Did they ever want to see it the first time or did they just tolerate it? But is anybody beating the doors down and clamoring for it again? So what did they, so they had Wednesday night was the best show. Friday night's rampage will be a joke. And then the battle of the belts on Saturday will be worse than rampage. Well, we have a tweet that Tony Khan has put out just a short while ago about battle of the belts. Have you seen this? I have not seen it. This is why I was confused about the time. I had this in front of me and I looked up quickly from Tony Khan at 345 PM today, tonight on TNT, AEW rampage at 10 PM. I'll announce a change due to medical protocol to tomorrow's Battle of the Belts. Rampage tonight will be a great hour on TNT. In addition to tomorrow's live AEW Battle of the Belts, I also plan to book a stacked house show card 
for the loyal fans in Charlotte. Oh, good God. I also plan to book a stacked cut. He... Another thing Tony needs to learn is he praises himself way too much when he's not really achieved anything yet. Um, so medical protocol, can we hope, can we hope against hope that Riho has been exposed to the rockin' pneumonia or the boogie-woogie flu so we don't have to look at that? Okay, wait, there's four wrestlers that we know that are supposed to be on this show, and it's only a one-hour show, and they're title matches. So they may not add anything else. So if we're going based on these four wrestlers, who's the most likely, due to a change in medical protocol, which I, I take it as they tested positive, but I could be wrong. Who do you think? It, you think it'll be real? I'm going with Cody. Well, I... I well, I don't know. Sammy seems like he's out there. The thing is... Who would I like it to be so that the show will be better without them on it? That would be Riho. The fans would probably enjoy the show more without Cody on it because they're just, but then again, they're having fun booing him out of the fucking building. But I like watching them boo Cody out of the building. So I don't, I've got it, but, but then again, Riho and Britt Baker will probably go on unobstructed and we won't get to see Sammy and Cody. So I'm going to pick either Sammy or Cody. Hey, you know what's funny? I hadn't thought about it until right now, but last week with the big controversy about Tony Khan's tweet about Big Swole, remember he said, our top two executives are Brown, me and Mega, and these are the wrestlers of color who won on TV in the wait, last here's month. The wait a minute, what does it say about his executive vice presidents that his legal assistant is the number two person in the company? Well, I don't know if she's legal assistant, but what I was going to say oh, is... whatever the fuck. Seriously, they, at least in the WWE, they used to keep them on the other side of the, of the fourth floor, all the business people where they belonged, and nobody said that Frank Serpy, who, whoever the fucking CFO was, was the number two in the company. It was Vince, and then it was Pat, etc. Well, my point was going to be, notice there was no mention of the chief brand officer. These are all the people of color who have been on TV, and these are the top executives of color. Not one word. I don't guess he mentioned her, the chief brandy officer. Anyway, all right, so we don't know what's going to go on on the Battle of the Belts. Uh, we don't know who's got the medical protocols against them. Uh, they had a start of a great program this past week, and the people came out for it, and then they shit the bed at the end, and those people may not come back for a little while. and. That's what's happening. But but at least everybody at AEW has got a job, folks, and I overpaid one at that. And meanwhile, if you work for the WWE, don't start reading any continued stories, and you better go out on the side of the interstate and start picking up some deposit bottles. You're going to need a second income. Closing thoughts, Brian. Another fun episode, and we're going to have even more fun on the extremely popular drive-thru coming up in a few days. Extremely popular. That's right. In the in in Brian Last's house and all the members of his immediate family. All right. Well, yeah. The first experience of 2022 is hereby over and done with and we will see you guys on the drive through and back next week here on the experience and for all of us on the various programs. Thank you. Fuck you and bye-bye everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey
hey mom i need to watch the show Meltzer says i'm in the key demo Meltzer says i'm in the key demo My mom's basement. I steal her Wi-Fi, not pay no rent. school. We've got indie stars drop back from wrestling school. Our children are at the top of the car. He trained himself in his own backyard. And this is shit everyone should get. Well, everyone. Except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging round in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars When you can watch the Bucks turn seven stars Dynamite's the word Best ever tag team division We've got Jericho, Orange Cassidy, and Michael Rio. Like Tony, I do fantasy booking. A title tournament, now we're cooking. And I can wait to hear what Cody has to say when Marco's stunt goes all the way. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, don't come in Go away, I'm watching wrestling Go away, I'm watching wrestling oh, This is wrestling heaven Don't listen to Corny, he hasn't been relevant since 87 He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play spot the submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Miro. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on the Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? No. Did you the Wi-Fi password? Mom! Oh, no. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Elser says I'm in the key demo I am 39, I'm in the key demo I'm a single 